0: G-Force, a kaiju podcast.
1: G-Force? Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. Kiss,
0: you
2: guys. What? A language. Calling Master Island. Calling Monster Island.
0: And now, your
2: hosts. One is me. And the other is Godzilla.
0: Nick. I'm
2: Andrew. Hello, welcome to episode 35 of G-Force, a kaiju podcast, a show in which a rotating cast of kaiju enthusiasts gets together every other week to discuss all things kaiju. My name is Nick, and with me is my co-host... This is Andrew. And with us we have... Hi, I'm Brendan. And today, the random number generator has decided that we should talk about 2004's Godzilla Final Wars, directed by Ryuhei Kitamura, written by Wataru Mimura and Isao Kiriyama. Andrew, would you like to read us our synopsis?
0: Following humanity's final battle with Godzilla in Antarctica, the king of the monsters lies entombed beneath the ice, buried alive and trapped. Now, years later, an elite corps of mutants, humans born with extraordinary powers, operates M organization an anti-kaiju task force. One of the few non-mutants in their ranks, the stoic maverick Captain Gordon, commands the Gotango, one of a fleet of Earth Defense Forces flying submarines. Elsewhere in the organization, mutant Ozaki and his bloodthirsty friend Kazama clash over the use of lethal force before being called out to stop an attack by Ibira, one of a rash of sudden kaiju attacks across the globe. Zilla, Hedorah, King Caesar, Rodan, Angirus, Kumanga, Kamakaras, even Minya. It's halted when a UFO arrives, dispatching the monsters and safely returning the Secretary General of the UN, thought dead when Rodan destroyed his airplane. The race aboard, the Zillions, proclaim that they come in peace, making overtures of friendship with humanity, sparking a global wave of ebullient enthusiasm. Meanwhile, Ozaki is assigned his bodyguard to biologist Miyuki both overviewing the mummified body of a kaiju which appears to share a genetic base with Earth's mutants. And while investigating, they're contacted by the Shobijin, who identify the kaiju as Gigan, a beast that fought Mothra long ago. They warn that it contains a potential for evil that runs through the blood of every mutant as well. After Ozaki, Miyuki, her sister Anna, and Captain Gordon expose a zillion conspiracy, Including one impersonating the Secretary General, the impatient and upstart Zilian second-in-command murders his commanding officer and takes command. Dropping the pretense of friendship and announcing that humans are to be enslaved as livestock and food to the zillions, Unleashing fighter craft and the eliminated Kaiju to raise civilization across the globe, decimating the world and crushing any resistance. With human civilization in ruins, the Zillian leader then exerts power over the mutant forces of M organization, to which only Ozaki is immune, turning them against humanity. While the intrepid quartet of heroes manage to escape, with the defeated Kazama in tow, it is a Pyrrhic victory at best. Earth cities lie in ruins, and the Zillians have total control. Escaping to Gotango, the last flying sub left, Captain Gordon rallies the survivors into a desperate plan to avenge the Earth, as the man to seal Godzilla into his icy tomb all those years ago, he knows what the monster is capable of. He launches the Gotango and races to Antarctica, freeing Godzilla from his icy prison so that the king of the monsters can eliminate the Zillions kaiju army. A revived Gigan follows and is quickly dispatched. Only the first of many, as Godzilla, following the Gotango, is led from one monster to the next, tearing through their ranks with ease to the mounting frustration of the new Zillion leader. At last, the Gotengo comes to the ruins of Tokyo, where a repaired Gigan is deployed against Godzilla. The King of the Monsters receives an unexpected ally in Mothra, but Gigan is also reinforced by the fearsome and ultra powerful Monster X, summoned from the depths of space. As the battle rages, Kazama sacrifices himself in a suicide charge to drop the UFO's shields, and the Gotengo breaches the Zillion mothership, but the crew are quickly captured by the Zillians. There, the young leader of the invasion reveals that he is a kaiser, a a one-in-a-million mutation of the mutant DNA strain that zillions, earth mutants, and kaiju share, which gives him phenomenal cosmic powers. He reveals that Ozaki also has the same mutation, but lacking the knowledge to use it, he's nothing but the zillions puppet. Outside, Gigan and Mothra seemingly annihilate one another, while Monster X transforms and mutates into the towering Kaiser Ghidorah, who begins to drain Godzilla's life force with a vampiric bite. Aboard the mothership, an amulet given by the Shobajin earlier breaks Ozaki from Zillian control, and he unlocks his full Kaiser powers, dueling the Zillion leader while the others, including the real UN Secretary General and other human prisoners, escape back to the Gotango. After defeating the Zillion leader, Ozaki joins them, channeling his power through the Gotango's mazer to give Godzilla the power boost he needs to destroy Kaiser Ghidorah. With the invasion over, Godzilla briefly turns his aggression to the Gotango and humanity once again. But the intercession of Minya and a human boy, standing in the way of their elders and signaling that the younger generation will not carry on the bitterness of the old, convinces Godzilla to depart with his son in peace, leaving humanity to rebuild.
2: So what do you guys think of this movie?
0: This is a very different kind of movie it's got a reputation as a very popular casual viewer movie but a fairly poor one within fandom you know true fans hate this movie personally i enjoyed a lot more than the average bear seems to and it will definitely be carrying through in this discussion regardless of some nitpickable moments the thing most people might not know about me is i think solo and the rise of skywalker are the two great movies disney has made I'm not joking. Uh, my favorite Star Trek film is Star Trek, the motion picture. I like dead man's chest just as much as the first pirates of the Caribbean. I love sky captain and the world of tomorrow, Star Trek Voyager and Jody Whittaker's first season of doctor who. I am very used to loving and defending much maligned things and not understanding why what's popular is liked better than they are, because to me, they're great. So that will probably be me for this episode. The, uh, the Minya standing with arms spread wide to shield a movie that I think is genuinely not bad overall. A lot of popcorn movie dumb fun
1: from all the incoming fire. This movie is a mess. For every good idea, it has a bad one. For everything it does right, it fails. For everything I love, there's nothing I hate. And that's kind of why I adore it. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, I might be blinded with nostalgia. This I might be blind with nostalgia. This is my first Godzilla movie, but I think this movie is so fun and unique, even for its flaws. It really feels like Kitamura's Moore's vision, especially in comparison to the mostly heisei, but a little bit different films we got from like Tezuka or so on. And most of all, it really does feel like a no holds barred last hurrah for the King of the Monsters for like a decade or so.
2: I have mixed feelings on this movie. I don't dislike it, but I wouldn't necessarily say I love it or like it all that much. I think it has a lot of fun moments. I think it has some tense moments, some creepy moments, but overall it doesn't do a whole lot for me, but it has enough fan service in certain areas and enough nostalgic value for me personally to keep it in the more positive space in my head. So let's move into human characters. I decide how to use my powers, whether for good or evil. And by the way, we're not cattle, we're humans.
0: You have the power to master the entire universe, and yet you side with cows? Yeah!
2: For our cast, we have Masahiro Matsuoka as Shinichi Ozaki. Rei Kikukawa as Miyuki Otanashi, Don Fry as Captain Douglas Gordon, Maki Mizuno as Anna Otanashi, Kazuki Kitamura as Controller of Planet X, Kane Kosugi as Katsunori Kazama, Akira Takarada as United Nations Secretary General, Naotaro Daigo, Jun Kunimura as Major Komura, Kumi Mizuno as Earth Defense Force Commander Reiko Namikawa, Kenji Sahara as Hachiro Jinguji, Masakatsu Funaki as EDF Instructor Kumasaka. God, this is such a loaded cast. Um, (laughs) Masami Nagasawa and Chihiro Otsuka as the Shobujin, Wataru Shihoto as Major General Kunikida, Kenta Suga as Kenta Taguchi, the boy who friends Manila, Shigeru Izumiya as Samen Taguchi, Kenta's grandfather, and Masato Ibu as Exilion Commander, who was the bald guy.
1: Oh, I just called him the old controller, that works too.
2: Uh, where do we start with these characters? There's so many of them. All <laughs> right, then, into it. I was just gonna jump in at the start of the movie.
0: I absolutely love this opening. The theme is perhaps my favorite Godzilla theme since the original. And I don't necessarily even think it's a great theme for Godzilla. I just love it as a musical theme in general with like the choir chanting and honestly the entire guitar riff sequence leading up to it. Just starting it in media res with the flashes of Mazer models and tanks flashing up in the black and the evocative nature of those shots and fades just suggesting hints of this epic final battle of all the world's forces last ditch effort to stop Godzilla in the Antarctic. That is like the best thing ever for me. I love the world building. I love to imagine that final conflict and everything in it, just dropping into the middle of this final battle with Gotengo as one of the last units standing at the end of the siege. I just cannot say enough good things about this sequence. It is perfection for me. Right up through the pullback to orbit, right before the worst track in the movie starts.
1: I agree wholeheartedly. I adore that opening, and the theme in this movie. It's just so it hits hard. And I will also agree that 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 theme is the like that the one in the credits and the opening. Yeah, no, that's not good. The intro, like the actual like credits with the stock footage from all the other movies. I adore that. Yeah, those those are cool. I enjoy those. Yeah, that rules. But yeah, I adore the opening and I really love the whole transition from like the classic of Kuve to that hard rock. Awesome opening. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to say that I agree with. I agree with you that it's like a perfect scene.
2: Yeah, it is a pretty cool scene. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but. And, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit more about this in the monster section, but it's just cool seeing Godzilla and the Gotango on screen together for the first time. Uh, And yeah, it's just a cool like being dropped into this last stand against Godzilla. It's definitely something that I enjoy about this movie.
0: This is the rare movie where I'm kind of equally at home with the subs and the dubs. And I have a hard time picking, especially because both of my favorite performances, the the zillion kids, the controller of planet x apparently is his official name and captain gordon are for me equally great in both i watched the first couple of scenes up through manda's destruction or manda vanished as the dialogue says with the dubs on and it played really well accentuating the action nicely later when things got more dialogue heavy i switched to japanese because i think the dialogue and acting are a bit better than the dub performances for the leads but overall like Godzilla 2000 and Singular Point, and, and the anime trilogy as well, I think. This is another one of those where, for me, both are really strong.
2: So this is one of the ones that I watched the most as a kid. And so I'm very familiar with the dub of this film. And I'm honestly not sure if I ever watched it without the dub until when I rewatched it for this episode, because I started the movie... And I just kept forgetting that I had to read the subtitles (laughs) and I was kind of thrown for a bit. Eventually, you know, I got the hang of it. But for whatever reason, I just was like, I kept forgetting I had to read.
0: Well, and it doesn't help that they're constantly switching back and forth. Sometimes in the middle of a sentence, he'll start it out in Japanese and then be like, I kind of like this face, you know, just kind of like, wait, 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 you were just speaking Japanese. Why did you finish that sentence in English? That yeah. doesn't play correctly for me or for the Japanese audiences. Did you make this movie only for bilingual people that will not be thrown by the fact that you said that <laughs> sentence half in one and half in the other? Yeah. Like, it was. it's kind of weird. At least the English dub gives you the consistency of they're only speaking one language the whole time. Like, right. the, the subs, you
1: can forget that you need to read because they've been talking english and then suddenly they're not again yeah i agree it's very odd but i kind of love it too i think the first time i watched it with subtitles was a couple months ago for my guzzle versus kong marathon leading up to the movie itself and yeah it is kind of weird like the switching back and forth i also will say that it kind of drives me nuts because in the subtitles they don't really dub they don't really address anything gordon says and like no offense, but they kind of need to because like half his dialogue, as much as I like his character more or less again that a bit, he does grumble a lot. So it's very hard to catch everything he says.
0: Well, I mean, speaking of Captain Gordon, I was going to say I, I, I love the return of the Gotango just in concept. And in that sense, having a new Gotango versus Manda matchup is appropriate. In fact, I don't know why. This last viewing was the first time it occurred to me, oh, of course, the two classic foes that fought each other in the original Atragon. I don't love that scene overall. It feels a little superfluous, but it does serve as a great intro to Gotango and to Captain Gordon, the two, uh, the two stars of the film, if you will. And it is rad. It is just a fun experience. It feels like the movie in a microcosm. Thinking about it beforehand, I remembered as kind of dumb, But once it starts, I'm really sucked into the fun experience and it doesn't seem dumb anymore. But I also like that the scene does establish the idea that the world is kind of hunting down the monsters, that with Godzilla gone, they're actually able to start getting kaiju rampages under control. And Captain Gordon's kind of maverick cop with an irate boss that wants him to turn in his badge dynamic, I feel like is a lot of fun, especially with the the punchline that later off screen this argument escalated to him decking his commanding officer during a court-martial back at the base, which (laughs) tells you a lot about Captain Gordon's character without even him having to be on screen. But I really like the character of Captain Gordon, like so much. I've said before, my ideal film would just be like a buddy cop team up between him and Sen-Chan from Mothra out to take down the Yakuza or something like I, I just find him this this fun, stoic man of action, like, unflappable character. I love that our reintroduction to him is him in his cell, which has been, like, furnished with workout equipment, so that he can be going to town on a punching bag while in jail. Like, there's just there's so much about him. I know that some do consider his performance to be a bad acting, but to me, like... He's a stoic figure with just the right level of inflection to demonstrate that that's just unflappability, not a lack of ability to emote behind his cool demeanor. Like, I I like the idea that he's just hardly phased by anything as part of his character. And I feel like he expresses almost as much with one eyebrow as Mr. Spock does. It's just, I don't know. For me, he's a quintessentially fun character. Um, I know some in our... (laughs) Our assembly can't stand him, but easily makes my top ten list of characters from the franchise.
2: I, I'm conflicted on Captain Gordon. I like the character genuinely. I really like the character, but I'm a little conflicted on Don Fry himself. The last this time, and the last time I watched it, I kind of started to like pick up more on where he has like really flat delivery or something, and so I am kind of. I'm in both boats now where I'm like, sometimes he suits the character really. And on a visual level, he's absolutely perfect for the character, but like on an, on an acting level, I'm kind of in both boats where I'm like, sometimes he suits the character well. And sometimes he sounds very flat and like, he's clearly not an experienced actor, which is kind of surprising that they would get someone who's a less experienced actor for such a big role in such an attempted big movie. (laughs) Um, But yeah, overall I like the character, even if I'm a little conflicted on Don Frye's performance.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say that that's something that came up with me on this watch. And my last watch is that while I still absolutely adore the character, I think I agree with everything that Andrew said, he's kind of like, not so much as acting, just kind of like he feels off. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but there's something where every time his, he says something, the other characters react, it always feels like intentionally or not like they're acting like, Oh, you're here. Like he just walked in and started talking and it's kind of throws me off, but I kind of do. But yeah, I, I love Captain Gordon. I think he's like, he's like the definition of like over the top macho action. And he's, He's just the best. He's incredible to watch. I can't hate
2: him. I really do love later in the film whenever he's going to fight those two exilions, and he just plants his sword in that like pillar thing next to him and just puts his fists up instead. It's, it's great. <laughs> sort of
0: continuing chronological order, I, I feel like it is worth noting here that the editing of this movie is a bit too manic in some parts for me. Though in other bits, it's not too bad. I feel like the oil refinery is one of those manic parts, but I don't mind it there. There are really only two scenes I think I could do without, and I'm pretty sure each of you agrees with me on one of them. Uh, The training room fight and the motorcycle chase. Like, the training room fight does at least fit Ozaki and Kazama's relationship dynamics and, and explain them. So, like, even though that's an underexplored part of the movie... I think it's something that's better with than without. Like it used a few too many dated tricks for me, but it's technically well executed and at least it has a purpose. The motorcycle scene for me just seems to go on way too long. It interrupts a much more compelling escape sequence. And I'm like, I don't care about this. I want to see, do they make it? Do
1: they get away? Why are you interrupting the thing for a motorcycle duel, you know? Yeah, it's, I like the motorcycle sequence just because I feel like it's, I don't know, I just think it's like a crazy idea, and I kind of love how it's executed, but yeah, I think that the human fights in this movie go on a little bit too much. I mean, I like the idea, like, hey, let's make this just as crazy on the human side as it is the monster side, but I don't know, there's just a bit too much. I really dislike the training room sequence. I feel like it's just, like, extra exposition. I feel like the opening and Ebra attack in the factory is just enough to say, hey, these mutes are super powerful, it's what they can do. It, I feel like we didn't need that except to show off Kazama and Osaki's like rivalry slash unresolved sexual tension. But yeah, it's, uh, I feel like those needed to be cut. <laughs>
0: But you've got the timeless inclusion of bullet time that will forever prevent this movie from being dated to a certain period in history.
1: Yes, that's never going to get old. Neither is the all black leather outfits.
2: The thing about the motorcycle scene that bothers me the most is just like because of how long it is, it just really feels like it goes from them escaping and then the fight happens and it goes on for way too long and then it very abruptly cuts to Gigan! Rise! It's such an abrupt cut and I don't know if it would have come off like that no matter what but I just feel like having this extremely long fight between everything that just went down with the Exilians and Gigan being woken up it just kind of feels like just too much time in between those things. Like I really feel like we should have just either shortened it or had something else there. Just I just feel like there need to be a better transition to the controller waking up Geigen. I don't know. It just it just bothers me so much. It just feels so abrupt and weird.
0: Well, plus Kasama kind of ruins their getaway after we've just had this intense moment of self-sacrifice to allow them to get away and then when we cut back to them they've gotten away anyway like there's no what 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 happened to them after the van overturned like that's the story we were following and the motorcycle chase just interrupts that and causes it to finish completely off screen you know it just it feels like it really kills the momentum that the movie had it just veers into a cul-de-sac of doing its own thing for several minutes that said, with, with all that stuff, with the, I, I did notice this time around that not only do you have the sort of the speech at the end that he gives to the zillion leader, but even right at the beginning in the training room fight, you're already getting that theme, which really is revisited at a number of places throughout the movie, that you're not defined by what you are, but by who you choose to be. It's the same one that underpins the ending that everyone else seems to hate and I love in The Rise of Skywalker. The overall message that you're not defined by your background, your genetics, or your people, you're defined by your choices. And maybe I'm just rambling to distract myself from the terrible Ozaki Miyumi first conversation. Whoever wrote that should really be ashamed.
2: I agree. I agree.
0: Could you maybe repeat the phrase be supermodel a few more times because... Anyone that just looks good naturally is clearly a wannabe supermodel. What?
2: Right. <laughs> it's so dumb. Oh my god. Oh,
0: look at you. What are you trying to be? A tall guy, being six foot three. <laughs> oh man, wannabe tall guy.
2: Oh, Scott, what do you think you dude, are? Some kind just... of basketball player?
0: Yeah, exactly. You'd be like, yeah, he just runs into a tall guy. He's like, what are you? Some want to wannabe basketball? I'm like, No, I'm just tall. I'm, that's how I was born. I'm tall. What's what, what's your problem, dude? <laughs> Why are you being like that? <laughs> so I, I, I've, I've, got, I've got a few other things already into the monster rampage because I'm just going through, and I clearly have a lot more about plot than about characters. But do we want to use that as a chance to talk about Ozaki and Miyumi? Because personally, I don't have much to actually say about them.
1: Yeah, same. They're, I lo- they're nice, but they're just kind of, they're sinking on it now. Final Wars kind of has the MonsterVerse problem. The actual leads are useful, but they're not really that well built. And in contrast, there's like this amazing ensemble cast going on around it. I think you're totally right with that,
0: honestly. Like, they all have utility, they all have function, but they don't necessarily have much depth of character. I'll say this, at least Ozaki is, like, interesting to look at. Like, you know how there are some actors where you're just like, Okay, they're just there in a scene and other people are like, you know what? It's like Johnny Depp. Like, I don't care what he's doing in the scene. He just has an interesting face and he makes interesting expressions. So I'm fascinated to look at him. He's like a bright, shiny object. You know, at least the actor playing Ozaki has that going for him. But that is kind of because he doesn't have much personality. Otherwise, that's about all that you notice.
2: Yeah, I do like the actor who plays him. But as a kid, I loved Ozaki. I wanted to like be him. He was my favorite human character when I was growing up, probably because he was the only one who like fought people hand to hand constantly. <laughs> but um, I I loved him a lot. And now, yeah, as an adult, I watch this movie, and there's not really much to him. And as for as for Miyumi, I think she's boring. <laughs> I feel like she doesn't really need to be there. She's just kind of the token scientist, but I feel like she doesn't really add anything useful to the film like scientists in other kaiju movies. But her sister Anna, I like her actually. I this is later in the film, but whenever she um, you know, whenever she exposes the fake secretary general i think that's a great scene and it's cool to see i know she's not really like the an actual reporter but she's kind of the reporter archetype and so i kind of like seeing that in this movie and also seeing it be so useful
0: i agree i i like anna more of the two and it's sort of a shame that she just completely exits the movie in the latter half and not to make everything about captain gordon is one of my favorites but i really do like his and anna's chemistry together like the idea that he he finds her an old-fashioned camera to document events and survive to tell the next generation what happened i like that it's just sort of you know that it shows that he's more than a warrior he's a, he's a renaissance man a thoughtful man and even though you know they certainly have not shared many scenes aside from their introduction together where he seems to mistake her for a prostitute which is not the most promising beginning to a relationship i i I like that you see some chemistry and some affection between them it hasn't really been built up but i mean to be fair neither was you know yuki and and what's her name in space godzilla or you know (laughs) that's a long godzilla tradition so we can't exactly start pointing fingers here But I do really just like the way that their relationship is handled as brief as it is.
1: Yeah, I'm going to make this a three for three. I also prefer Anna. I love the scene where she exposed the general just because the mere thought that this entire alien plan to invade and destroy the planet is destroyed by a bulldog. In the funniest fucking concept of all time and i absolutely adore it but besides that i genuinely think she has a more interesting arc like andrew talked about with gordon and all while uh mayuki is that it yeah mayuki apparently that's what Wikipedia said i don't know anymore um I find her to be very boring. I think she, I like the idea of this biologist who's kind of like reluctantly helps this hero and then kind of falls for him, but she just kind of doesn't really do anything interesting. I've never had this moment where I'm like, Hey, she's pretty neat. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a fan. I prefer Anna much, much more. The one thing I
0: do appreciate about Miyuki is that they do not give into the temptation, having her surrounded by all these uber super capable people to just turn her into some sort of, you know, super warrior to have her be ultra competent and ultra capable. She is a scared civilian who still needs Ozaki as a bodyguard. You know, they don't feel the need to over or hyper inflate her role. And even when they're trying to escape the zillion ships, she isn't suddenly made into an inexplicable, you know, beginner's luck warrior. They keep her as an out of place civilian amidst all the other warriors. It feels like again, it would have just been easy to elevate everyone to that level and give into cliché, but it feels like it helps keep the film grounded to what little degree it can be at this very sci-fi stage, to keep her inexperienced and frightened and overwhelmed like this like a real civilian would be. It gives us a human connection amidst all the invincible, unflappable supermen. But she still gets to have a moment to shine. At the Gotengo's controls afterwards, so that her character isn't underserved either, and she actually has something you know, critical and cool to do. Even if the poor second mate gets a you know, a bit nerfed after everything they survived by an unlucky dislocated shoulder. But that that was one at least nice thing about her character that I thought they did with her at the end.
1: I agree. I do like that she's kind of like still the. She doesn't really change and become suddenly a competent badass. She's kind of like hey. This is what I'm good at. You guys be good at the fighting. Thank you.
0: Much has been said about the uh, spoiled chocolate stained kid in Vancouver who throws his Gamera toy into the fire, which is not a thing kids usually do, like, realistically. Uh, But it feels like someone finally watched Gamera Super Monster and decided that, like, a completely uncalled for and, like, decade late and inappropriate considering respective box office numbers counterattack of equal pettiness needed to be launched for the sayonara dojira poster like it's ironic that now almost 25 years later the positions of the two franchises had almost exactly reversed for the fortunes of their respective series like now Gamora was the one that was doing great and the millennium series was having the disappointing box office returns also i know that canada is like multilingual But why is the English-speaking Canadian child watching a Japanese language station, James? You have some explaining to do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, James. You know what? The next time he's on the show, we gotta have him answer for this because this is ridiculous.
0: Time to grill him. Put him in the hot seat, just like like on Anna's show. Ask him the tough questions, maybe bring out a bulldog to trip him up,
1: (laughs) whatever it takes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, join us in two weeks for our roast of James. Oh, wait a
1: minute. How old is James? <gasps> Maybe it is him. Oh, my God. It's,
2: he's it, could, the it could
0: be. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it all makes sense.
1: Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. It's all coming together. Uh, we got to fire up the headcanon alarm.
0: <laughs> it thought it would get a vacation after we finish Zone Fighter, but nope. Um, on the very minor character front, the captain of the Karyu is pretty rad. I'd like a spinoff about him. And actually, the the captain of the other sub being attacked by Kamakras, she's pretty nifty, too. Like, apparently, Flying Sub Captain is an exclusive club of just really cool-looking people. And I'd like to see a movie just about a team of them, led by Captain Gordon, of course.
2: They all look like they need to be in a new metal band. Like, they could all be in the band Korn, and nobody would bat an eye. But I love how, like, uh, the captain of the Eclair, I love that it's called the Eclair... Like, and it's in France. That's just hilarious. But uh, she just looks totally just stone cold and awesome. And yeah, I would love to see more of her.
1: Yeah, I noticed her too in my rewatch and I've loved her since I was a kid. She's very cool. And also, fun fact, because I was looking her up to find out if she had a name. she is played by Shelley Sweeney, uh, the Canadian actress who also played the android, possibly pilot from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. So perhaps she knows James as well. I mean, Canadian got Mexican Godzilla too. <laughs> life I forgot about versus that versus artificial life.
2: <laughs> I learned that a while ago, and when she came up, when I watched it, I was like, "Ah, she's in something else, but I can't remember what it is." So thank you for reminding me because it was bothering me, and I didn't—I was too lazy to go look. <laughs> That's
0: cool that we really do just have sort of returning cast members being brought in from all eras of the franchise
1: yeah it is really cool feels like a real grand finale
0: so the zillions show up and i i have i feel like that transition from the aliens making their presentation to the same being repeated to the un is nicely done and i feel wonder i feel like the movie doesn't make it clear but i have to assume that the whole point of like firing off the Earth's combined nuclear arsenal at the fictional Gorath is just to get the Earth to deplete their store of nuclear weapons to prevent them fighting back during the invasion? Like, I assume that's what that was all about? Because if they just wanted to make friends, they could just say, oh, we destroyed it for you, but getting Earth to shoot off all this weaponry seems like like it's gonna go somewhere and then it doesn't, but I'm guessing that's why?
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean... I don't know what what else why else they would tell them that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think that works with some more let's be chill and just infiltrate original controller versus the kid controller and his plan of just like, we got monsters, let's go do wreck some shit, guys. So while the world is still
0: in love with them, you know, we get the scene of everyone waving signs. And I do like that one of them just says happy birthday in English. I didn't notice that. Like, I get the feeling that <laughs> That somebody just did not, like, they just googled image search people holding signs like we might if we had people holding signs in Japanese. Like, I bet the Japanese lettering on that sign says something completely different.
2: That's so funny.
0: (laughs) And then we get like the whole thing with the radio show and X, who seems to be like, in the subtitles at least, it seems like he's like an alien groupie as opposed to one of the aliens himself, like just a super fan, but that is a bizarre scene. And then we get like a news roundtable that's like I like the idea, but it's about three times as long as it needs to be.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: I agree
1: too. I like the idea of the world reacting to Alien, but that scene was just it was too weird for me. Though I was also just gonna add, can I just say that from years of the Godzilla fandom between two thousand and four and twenty fourteen has driven me insane because the number of people who think that X guy is the controller? Like, it is impossible to find any information on the controller because everyone thinks he's X and always puts everything down. as X, 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 X. X. And I just want to very quickly complain about that to all our listeners.
2: I was very guilty of that for years. It literally wasn't until like two years ago where I realized that they were not the same guy. Um, And it's funny because I remember... (laughs) back whenever I would go on Tumblr a lot, I made a post like calling him X and saying that he's really underrated and he's such a fun villain. And it still gets, people still reblog it sometimes. And I'm like, please stop. I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was talking about.
0: I was young and foolish. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like the attack on the secretary general scene, it it serves the plot, but it does feel a bit crazy abrupt. Like, I, I mean, Someone else figuring out what Anna already did with the no blinking is not unreasonable, but like, that just feels like a bit of lazy plotting to move things along really quick with no setup or anything. Like, it's just there and then it's gone so fast that you're like, what was that? What was that all about? Why did Why did that happen?
2: Are you talking about the guy in, like, the weird robes or whatever who comes up and stabs him? Yeah, that guy. He, um, yeah, it's definitely very weird and abrupt, but he's played by... He's played by Shiro Sano from Godzilla 2000 and GMK, and so that just makes me happy that he got to be in this movie, even if it was for a weird thing that was, like, two seconds long. <laughs>
1: I actually do love the, the attentive assassination scene just because just really quick but it really works for me especially when he's like dragged off screaming and they're like are you okay secretary and he's like fine as he rushes off in general i just really love their slow realization of like the infiltration especially the non-blinking element i think that is genuinely genius and the bit where he goes to when ozaki goes to talk to miss Kawa, and there's just like that subtle horrific moment of her just staring dead at him I adore that scene, that is... Stuff like that makes it really hard for me to, like, critique this movie, because there is definitely some great effort in it.
0: I love that it is the same actress, and the character she's playing is named Miss Namikawa again, and she is actually a zillion. Like, that is just so wonderful, I love
2: that. I love that scene so much, and, like, just... The point where they start figuring out what's going on is when, in my opinion, Akira Takarada and Kumi Mizuno shine the most in this movie. They both absolutely kill it as like the fake versions of their characters. Kumi Mizuno is just absolutely creepy in that scene where she's not blinking and just staring at Ozaki. And Takarada is just so good whenever he, like after he gets stabbed and he just clearly just wants... Anna to just go away it's so good he like he just plays off that like just being so frustrated that like you can tell that he he knows they're starting to figure it out and he's just so frustrated about it and I think that Takarata just kills it
0: I I have to say I really like the scene where they set a trap for the Zillions in the server It's, it's a very very satisfying scene I wish we got to see the Zillions natural form a bit better especially in motion but yeah I like that trap and then the the zillion kid, the, the new controller, the seeming victory of the heroes with the mutants arriving in, and then the sudden reversal to make you realize just how screwed Earth really is, is a really effective back and forth. Like, emotionally like, yeah, we're winning. And they're like, oh, no, we're actually completely outmaneuvering it. We're in trouble, you know? Especially the zoom in on the protagonists who are, like, flanked by their mutant allies and the camera zooms in on them then just pulls back out as the mutants have clearly changed sides and now they're surrounded by hostile enemies all in one shot i feel like that's just fantastic again the whole momentum from when she's in the server room up through their escape is great which is part of why i don't like the motorcycle chase sort of interrupting that energy because it's a really tight flow from scene to scene up to that point. Yeah, I love that scene too. It's such a great reversal. I have to say, well, it's a very minor character. Uh, The EDF trainer, you know, Ozaki's commanding officer. He's a minor character. The idea is cliche, but his staying behind to hold off the mutants, but then living to see Gotango escape. And, you know, the camera just pulls back at him laughing because he knows it's been worth it. They achieved that victory it really works for me. I I love the sacrificial heroism of it. And I love how this paradigm just kind of hints at some sort of rich backstory. He's this enigmatic character who is seemingly an amazing enough fighter to actually be a match for the Enhanced Mutants, which is presumably why he was chosen to train them. Some sort of just this titan among men, this larger-than-life legendary warrior whose story we don't know, only witnessing his final mission. It's like if the Star Trek franchise had started with the next generation and the only time we ever met the character of captain Kirk was at the start of the film generations, his final mission defying the odds to save the day one last time. That's all we knew about him was that one, you know, that's what this guy feels like. And I just really, really love that bit of the movie.
2: Yeah. I love that guy. Um, He's so cool. And it like, I love whenever he's fighting all the, mutants and Ozaki like hesitates to leave. And then he just turns and gives him that smile. Like, it's okay, go, I got this. It's so good. And yeah, seeing him climb out of the rubble and see the Tango take off is just super satisfying.
0: That also marks the halfway point of the film. And, and that is interesting to me. Structurally, basically half of the film is spent on the setup. The entire first hour unraveling the conspiracy And the actual sort of kaiju part of the movie, I mean, we've gotten little bits, like with the Abira fight, but the actual Operation Final War and monster fighting and re-involving Godzilla in the plot don't actually start until an hour in. It almost feels like two movies, like the Alien Conspiracy movie and then the Kaiju War movie. I like them both. In some ways, I feel like I even might like the first one, the first half better, It's just interesting to me how heavily the film just completely switches gears midway through. Like, it is a just total change of direction. And it's like, oh, right. We we haven't been watching a Godzilla movie for the last hour, but now we are watching a Godzilla movie again. I forgot he was in here.
2: Yeah, I genuinely prefer the first half of this movie to the second half. I still like the second half, but I prefer the first half and it's weird like i said this about in our second episode about Tokyo SOS where Tokyo SOS to me feels like a two act movie where the first half is the setup and then the second half is the huge long f- like third act basically with it's a first act and a third act with no second act in between and that's exactly how i feel about this movie as well
0: yeah i, I- I mean, you could make you could you could make the argument for the sort of the coming of the conspiracy and the unraveling of conspiracy is kind of a first or second, but I completely get what you're saying, and you're right. This does parallel Tokyo SOS very
1: much in that where it's just first phase, second phase, set them up, knock them down. Yeah, I kind of I love the ride of the kaiju half, but the alien half is definitely the much more successful part of this movie. I also want to say. Speaking of like the, oh, we're in a Godzilla movie now, because I wrote this down my notes, I want to bring it up. The bit where they're all discussing what they're going to do next, and Gordon name drops Godzilla, and the tone just turns suddenly to them all like staring at him in shock and like this low bass line. That is also one of my absolute favorite parts of the movie. Just like the name drop of Godzilla just instantly changes the tone.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll get into this later but something about Godzilla's reputation in this movie, I just really, really love it. Um, and yeah, that is a very cool moment.
0: This is just like Invasion of Astro Monster. They just kind of casually end the world halfway through. I guess that's just a trope of Zillion movies. I mean, in the, in the anime trilogy, they ended in the opening credits. But every time the Zillions show up, even under a different name, civilization just has to be completely wiped out. Like, that's it's in their contract. But I am glad that they do still acknowledge that there will be a next generation to tell the story to, that this mission will determine the fate of the human race. Like, that they clarify that while all major cities and infrastructure are destroyed, there is still enough of humanity left to rebuild. Like, this isn't just a Pyrrhic victory leading to extinction. Like, I am glad that they draw that line, because from what you see on screen, you could easily be forgiven for believing that all of humanity is just going to die out whether they win or not. And this really is just about pride if they hadn't told us otherwise. So I'm glad that they do tell us otherwise. Uh,
1: yeah, I think they, I'm glad they add that it could be very depressing. Otherwise they definitely do enough to show that I could definitely see it's kind of implied with some like major cities are gone. Minor stuff's okay. Because just cause the grandpa and the kid and their misadventures with Manila. But um, yeah, I think it could be very depressing. Otherwise actually moving into the the kaiju part of the movie i love
0: the guys at the south pole the idea that they just kind of stand guard over this little outpost and they, they've just kind of decided to throw an end of the world party like they know that the zillions will overlook them they're not important enough to come destroy so they're just going to hang out here make snacks listen to fun music and ride out the end of the world like their fate feels a little bit mean-spirited though like Uh, You know, (laughs) it it didn't feel like they deserved that.
2: Yeah, I love those guys. Um, Just like, I don't know. I feel like that would be me just sitting in this bunker, eating a croissant, jamming to Masaru Sato. And like, just, yeah, I agree. I don't like that Godzilla just kills them. It would have been nice. It would have been cool if they got to survive and see the Exilions defeated and everything. I would have liked that a bit but the bit of screen time we get with them is really fun. And I just love how for a little bit, it just seems like, like how I love how for a bit we get them like reacting to everything that's going on. Like, like, they're watching the, this fight go down between Gotango and Gigan, and they're just like, I don't like this. Like, I just wish we could have gotten more of them commenting on everything that's happening.
1: They end up trying with the grandpa, the kid, in manila, and the whole thing, the other half of the movie, becomes a very strange remake of Godzilla's Revenge. <laughs> and they are
0: emblematic of just the global feel of this film at times. How much of a mixed nationality cast they mustered, it, it's really impressive, and it's a good contrast to the uh, the limited casting pool that we had last time with the Garogas' so-called global invasion force. Like, although these two aren't the best actors, they still give a fun performance, and it really does just help to feel like, yeah, Godzilla is a big deal for the whole world. Like, that <laughs> this is a a united effort everyone's contributed to imprisoning and guarding him because he's
1: everyone's problem. I love those guys. Those guys rule. I wish they were in King of the Monsters. Just like, you know, just hanging out in the corner, hiding from Jonah. That would have made the movie perfect. It's just a great dynamic, especially just like, well, world over. Croissant. You know,
0: they feel like they would fit in better if they actually joined uh, Josh, Madison and Bernie. Yeah, like it, just rip open a hole in time and space. And they just do it, and they're just going along through like Apex and just being like, "Guys, those are clearly claw marks on the wall. I don't like this. Like, <laughs> this, guys, this is really bad. It's a mechanical Godzilla. What are we gonna do?"
2: So the consensus we've reached is these guys should have been in the monsterverse.
0: <laughs> yes. Pizama's sacrifice to me is uh, definitely derivative. Uh, yet another second Death Star ripoff, just like like Rebirth of Mothra, Uh, plus Shades of the End of Independence Day. But again, I feel like it's executed in a really fun, energetic way with great music, and it pays off the character dynamics really nicely. Like, I I wish we'd had a little bit more of their relationship, but what we do get is, is nicely closed off there. You get the sense that even at the end, maybe Kazama didn't fully get it, but he still does the right thing. Ozaki was able to teach him that much, at least. And the effect of the shield exploding into particles is like really great, and just a nice punctuation to end that sequence with a bang—no pun intended. Next, the other standout of the movie for me is definitely the uh, the controller of Planet X, the, the Zillion Kid. Uh, I really love, um, you know. Obviously, that tuna head isn't up to much. Has become. Uh, legendary in fandom for good reason I think especially just the ways next at the end of it um but I really like the way he's reacting at the end of the Hedora and Abira battle too like it was a video game or like a sports match like his performance really is just a wonderful combination of childishness insanity and smugness he he feels like he's the japanese like version of the Mark Hamill Joker. He just has this manic energy that's so wonderful to watch.
2: Dude, as I was watching this the other night, I was like, this guy, if they ever make a Japanese live action Batman movie, he needs to play the Joker because he would kill it. (laughs) Um, So I'm glad we're kind of on a similar wavelength there. But yeah, he is my favorite human, well, not human, but non-kaiju character in the movie. He's just so much fun to watch. He's such a cocky douchebag, and he's just maniacal and wonderful. And Kazuki Kitamura just absolutely kills it. Um, But also, I really like the guy who plays him in the dub. Let me see if I can find his name. I don't think I can.
0: Yeah, the dub really does him justice. It's really good.
2: Like, in what you were saying about, you know, you could go with either the subs or the dub, but I'm the same way all because of him. Like, his dub actor is so good, and I love his maniacal laugh as he's watching Monster X uh, fight Godzilla. It's just so good. (laughs) Is that all your Godzilla can do?
1: He is, without hyperbole, one of my favorite villains of all time. Just a mix of like cocky energy with like what are basically his tantrums over his monsters losing. He's just wonderful. I just love him to bits. He's just, I, I can't say anymore. You guys already nailed it. He's just fantastic. Every minute he's on screen is utterly amazing. I really love when he just, how he kind of like goes from like hating Godzilla to kind of almost respecting him. <laughs> like, I really, like, after that iconic two things I don't know about the ass kid one's me, the other's Godzilla. I just, I don't know. I just really like him. I'm kind of rambling. Sorry. That's just, he's fantastic.
0: It's funny, isn't it too? Because he's the least zillion, zillion we've ever seen. Like they're usually all about stoicism and he is all just about being this like high energy, manic child, um, which you get the feeling is probably his entitlement of being a Kaiser that he just kind of shirks all the discipline that's ever been tried to be given him and just, you know, goes his own way. Cause he's like, you can't stop me. But yeah, after Ozaki gets awakened to being a Kaiser, like just so many of great moments there too. Like, you know, the whole, you have the power to control the universe, but you side with cows and especially the bit where Ozaki starts fighting back and stops him cold. And the guy just sort of like feels his bloody nose then holds up a finger like, oh, just a moment. Turns away to compose himself almost like Jack Sparrow style before turning around and trying to attack again. It's just, that was the moment I absolutely adored. It's wonderful. I love it. (laughs) There are just so many wonderful comedic moments in, in Kazuki Kitamura's performance. It's just, he imbues the character with such a unique personality. So many little quirks. Like you're, you're, you're sort of like, no wonder that the dub version is good too, because you cannot. I feel like you can't be looking at that on screen and be giving a bad performance to it. It inspires creative, like comedic, just energetic performance. It's, it's wonderful. Even his final shot amid all the explosions and sort of howling to the skies. is really fantastic and iconic. He's just, He's great from beginning to end. It's <laughs> To the point where if you've seen the movie, it's almost weird when he and th- the guy he later assassinates step out from behind the pillar and are all smiles at the beginning. And you're like, oh, it's weird to see him looking so friendly and composed.
1: <laughs> That's not going to last long. I put that in my notes that I kind of love that how the William Staroff is almost off-putting, like almost uh, inhuman Scenes at first, they kind of look like, oh, that's kind of serious. But then the minute the old controller dies and the kid steps up, it just becomes a Saturday morning cartoon in the literal best way.
0: I feel like the part where Gotengo breaches the mothership and they're about to, you know, they're about to destroy it. And then the zillions board cutting off their moment of triumph. It's another great reversal, just like that earlier co-opting of the mutants. And then the genuinely upsetting execution of the bridge crew, who have been through so much and survived all of this. And it just feels like you're just being dropped down into the pit, followed by the Sobigen dispatching Mothra as like a ray of hope. It's a wonderful back and forth, just like the earlier sequence, just a nice set of sequences that mirror that triumph to despair of the first sequence with... Ending, but still ending on a hopeful note. I just, I really like the way that that's structured, that it it messes with your emotions like, oh no, Kazama, oh, but we're gonna get him. Oh no, they got us. Oh, maybe there's still a chance. I do love the two factions just walking past each other on their way to separate confrontations aboard the Zillion ship. Like they just walk straight past each other from the side because these guys are out to go get Gordon and, you know, this guy's out to go get the Zillion leader. That's a fun moment. And, and I love that the Secretary General literally pulls an, I escaped somehow. And, and at least they they built, you know, some combat skill into his backstory. However, uh, you know, out of nowhere it is. At least they bothered to give a reason. And the whole gag of the Zillions just being taken out with some really nice stunt work by the self-destructing ship and then Captain Gordon just strolling through nonchalantly is another highlight of the film for me. Looking at the very end, uh, I get the symbolism and real life hesitation you'd have about shooting a gun in even the vaguely general direction of a loved one, but the grandfather acts so stymied by his half-pint grandson interposing himself, despite the fact that grandpa is aiming way up in the sky at Godzilla and the kid is like in no way blocking him. And then the ending seems weirdly pessimistic. I wonder if it's like a translation problem, but Ozaki declares that this is the beginning of a new war Like, that sounds pretty doomful, and it odds with everything else that's going on. Like, I'm trying to think of a positive spin on that, but especially with his facial expression, it just, it doesn't read as anything positive. Honestly, this feels like it could easily be a precursor to the anime films. Like, the end line almost seems to suggest it will be. And, you know, you've got the bitterness at Godzilla angle from some of them. you've got human civilization devastated, Godzilla's terrifyingly unstoppable, humanity seems like it has the technology to construct a starship to escape and seek a home. Like, don't get me wrong. There are definite continuity gaps. It wouldn't actually work. But this movie seems like it's 75% of the way to setting up and just being a prequel for the anime
1: movies. If I were to argue what they're attempting to say with that a new war line... I'd assume, this is what I've assumed since I saw this movie as a kid, is that they're trying to say that now we're going to be fighting with Godzilla on our side instead of him as our enemy. But yeah, it's kind of dark for a movie that's basically been like, yeah, monster fights, yeah, yeah, martial arts, yeah, woo! And I don't know, it's very odd.
2: Yeah, the new war line is always like, I'm just like, what... What are you talking about, man? (laughs) What are you saying?
1: (laughs) No one knows what you're talking about, you idiot.
2: But I like your interpretation of it, that it's just, you know, they're going to be fighting with Godzilla on their side now. I like that a lot.
0: A war against the elements for us all to rebuild and heal. I probably could have used a better term than war, but there you go.
2: (laughs) In the dub, he says it's a new beginning, which I think makes way more sense.
0: Way more sense. It makes me wonder if the line was almost mistranslated could have been like for the subs because the subs did not seem the most coherent on the sony release like there were a lot of stilted like you might have rendered that literally word for word but i think you lost the meaning kind of things
2: they also might have been trying to be clever about it whoever wrote the subtitles they might have been like oh final war huh what if they say it's the beginning of a new war or something but i hope that's not the case because that's stupid so let's move on to monsters and special effects (laughs) What is that monster?
1: Listen, kid. There are two things you don't know about the Earth. One is
2: me, and the other is Godzilla. Special effects in this film were directed by Eichi Asada, and Godzilla was portrayed by Tsutomu Kitagawa, Gigan and Hedora were both portrayed by Kazuhiro Yoshida. King Caesar and Monster X were portrayed by Motokuni Nakagawa. Kaiser Ghidorah and Giris and Evera were all portrayed by Toshihiro Ogura. And Rodan and Manila were portrayed by Naoko Kamiyo.
0: I feel like uh, Mummified Gigan looks pretty cool. I agree. I-, I don't know if the redesign is my... I, I prefer the original. It's got its own over-the-top Early 2000s charm, but, but mummified, he looks really
1: great. Yeah, I love the mummified look, but I loved his original design, and honestly, the updated design worked for me because it's great for this twist of his character. In the original, Godzilla vs. Guy Gan, he's like this bizarre alien monster who acts tough but is a total coward, or check in, considering how he looks. While here, I kind of like that he's like this over the top, overly menacing design that, like, immediately goes out like a bitch. Like, it really works well to be, be able to see him, like, oh, man, he's decked out in, like, kaiju leather, and he's got these giant hooks and chains out everything, and, oh, he's got his head blown off. It kind of reminds me of, like, Return of the Jedi with what happens with Boba Fett, to be honest. That's what I've always, it's always reminded me of every time I watch Final Wars. Yeah, yeah, I can
0: see that. I, uh, I I do feel like he's a little overdesigned, but I agree. It helps to accentuate sort of the... Uh... The gag that he is like the baddest dude. Oh nope, he's very clearly not.
2: Yeah, I think the I think the Boba Fett comparison works, y- even though you know retroactively they kind of did make Boba Fett the badass that he looks like. But yeah, I think that makes total sense. Um, but I honestly really like this Geigen design. I don't know if I I don't think I like it more than the original. I think they're both really good for their respective films. But I don't know. There's just something so like this Geigen design is perfect for this movie. Like I couldn't see a more Showa looking Geigen working in this movie, really. And
0: if he was, he'd look terrible. Case yeah. in point, King Caesar.
2: <laughs> I, I kind of like this King Caesar. But um, in terms of Geigen, I just think I don't know. I just think it works completely for this film's aesthetic. Um, and, you know, I'm just a sucker for dark colors so I'm not going to complain.
1: I would also like to add that my favorite fact is that in the uh, concept art for this guy again, his grappling hooks are just called fucking anchors. And like, I don't know what it is, but every time I see that, it just like makes me lose my s***. It's so funny.
2: <laughs> Dude, I, forget, I forgot about that. It literally says f***ing anchors. <laughs> Wait, where is this?
1: <laughs> it's so points And everything, like they're like, "Yo, dude, he's got fucking anchors."
2: <laughs> I'll have to see if I can find it and show it to you, Andrew. It's it's ridiculous, but yeah, uh, I kind of like the chainsaws too. I see people poking fun at them for good reason. They are an absolutely ridiculous. But I don't know, whenever he comes out with those things, I'm like, oh, man, now it's serious.
0: Well, and, and I mean, how how can you complain about Guygen having a chainsaw? Like, that's literally his most famous power. Yeah, they moved it from his chest to his hands. But like, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, man, I don't like that the Joker's skin is so pale. Like, right. dude, <laughs> do you even know
2: what this character is? Like, I don't like that this version of the Joker smiles.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like the chainsaw actually pulling him around on the ground is so bad. It's good. Like it's so hilariously over the top and ridiculous that it's awesome. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I, I really like the chainsaws for sure. Yeah. The chainsaw, they're great. I mean, chainsaw hands, I can go wrong. It's pretty groovy.
2: Also, he finally gets to use his laser beam now from his eye. Yeah. And I kind of like the shotgun effect. It's just like this
0: scattered blast of, of different pulses in the air. It's very cool. Yeah, it's a very unique effect. On the other end of the scale, things that I don't like so much, Uh, the New York sequence is terrible. And the dubbing for the cop is terrible. And the cartoon sound effects are terrible. Like, I could do without that whole thing, except for, like, the reveal of Rodan shot where he's perched on top of the building and the sequence after he, like, takes off again and is just flying by, destroying buildings. Like, that's all fine. But everything up to that point, I I would I would really, really be happy to like lose out of the film.
2: Yeah, I'm not I like Rodan's actual attack. I think that's cool, but everything leading up to it is horrifically bad.
0: <laughs> it is cool seeing so many actors of differing ethnicities. Like again, just that that whole global feel is very effectively conveyed by actually having you know, this is the first time I think Godzilla's gone to New York outside of, you know, 1998. First time he's gone to New York at a Japanese production. And we've, even, and we've actually seen people, people there that, are, you know, instead of just model buildings from the outside. So I think that really works. Although I will say, I know I praise that in the character section too. I feel like it does counteract that impression a little bit to have all of the United Nations representatives be solely Japanese. Like, it, it feels like it counteracts that whole epic feeling to the point where when when I'm seeing the montage shots here or the location shots, like, when they're reacting to the talk show, it feels really big and global and everything. But the rest of the time, the uniformness of the cast for what's supposed to be a globe-spanning organization works to kind of actively make me forget that sense of scale and be like, oh, this is just another Toho production where, you know, just like the Garoga agents, they couldn't afford to get anybody non-Japanese. And I say that with Captain Gordon right there in the cast, but uh, you know, he's not supposed to be from the UN. All of the others are. The fact that it's like, oh, coincidentally every single person for the United Nations happens to be from the Japanese delegation, I feel like does minimize what they were able to accomplish with
1: the, the sense that their global casting gives. That's fair. I do love the New York sequences because of how ridiculous it is. Like, it goes from I hate this term but it literally is so bad it's good but yeah it's kind of weird that to see how they execute the whole international scope i think there's times it works like i really like uh like we mentioned earlier about the claire captain and i really like the car U team but
2: i don't know it's very odd um i like after that whenever the people like the edf people all start realizing what's going on and that there's so many monsters attack going on at once. I feel like there's a lot of really good, like rising tension in that scene.
0: I agree. And one thing I really love there when they're calling everything out is that I only caught this time that King Caesar does appear in Okinawa. Yeah. And so that was a nice touch.
2: I know. I never really like thought about that until this time. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I think I could be totally wrong, but I think Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla is Ryuhei Kitamura's favorite Godzilla film, but I might be wrong.
1: No, I heard that as well. I think you're right. Okay. I also, one of our listeners can tell me if I'm wrong, but I also believe there was a cut scene, which was basically just a bunch of elder Okinawans just freaking out over Caesar attacking, attacking Okinawa in general, but they had to cut it out because it was too confusing to introduce his whole lore. But yeah, I really do love that whole scene. It's just like, there's so many of them at once. Especially because I only caught this on my last watch. I noticed that they explicitly name every kaiju attacking except Zilla. They just go another one for him.
2: Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> and, and speaking of Zilla, well, I get that the CGI for him is like part of the joke, which is ironic considering how much of Godzilla 98 was actually practical. Like, I feel like Godzilla 98 is a lot like Jurassic Park, where people are like, oh, it's amazing, all oh, the CGI they can do. It. It's like, but you realize only a few of those shots are CGI, right? Like CGI did not look that good in the 1990s. It's when they're moving quickly, when they're standing still, those, those are still suits. That's why it looks so good. But I I know it was scanned from a toy and I I feel like, again, the shoddy quality was part of the poking fun that they were doing. I just really wish he was a little more on model and not like chubby Zilla. Like I wish he looked a little closer to the original. That always bothers me a little bit. Like, the Jay Leto chin is really pronounced this time around.
2: Yeah, it's not all that good. And I do wish it looked a little better. But I will say that version of Godzilla being given a new name and being treated as a different monster is honestly something I've always really liked. Not just because that movie is such a poor, uh, such a poor representation of Godzilla, but also just because, in my opinion, it's a very cool monster design separated from Godzilla. And so I genuinely like him being his own monster, both in this movie and in the IDW comic series, uh, Rollers of Earth.
0: Yeah, you know, I know that there is a mixed reaction to the 98 film nowadays, and there's uh, more defenders of it. But even for all that, I do really just love the the Zilla battle gag too. like, you know, that doing ahead wasn't up to much. Like I I feel like we might be in an environment now where people, films like that and Godzilla's revenge, people are trying to sort of come back around on it and say, uh, it's not cool to bash on that anymore. But considering the debacle that it was at the time, I feel like this was still a deserved jab and it's a really funny joke, especially the punchline of the Zillian just after a second going next. You know, just being completely dismissive of him. Like, uh, whatever your feelings on the film and on, you know, Zilla slash 98 Godzilla overall, I, I really think
1: that that scene still works very well, and it's just very funny. You know, I was just thinking when I was watching this, that, that the controller all honestly was kind of like Toho's reaction, just like, oh, well, it failed. What's that script that we're working on, Godzilla 2000? Let's get it made. Yeah, I really do love the whole Zilla fight. It's just, it's great. I don't have anything else to say. I just really love the whole gag. And I honestly have kind of wondered, do you think it's possible that at some point in the future, this might be what they do with the legendary incarnation? Just kind of make him his own monster that kind of coexists with Godzilla? Or that he's like enough of a Godzilla to still remain an incarnation?
0: I feel like, honestly, um, Zilla was a separate monster and, and, you know, partly, obviously, just to allow the, you know, the mockery and not to give him the dignity of being a Godzilla. But partly because I think he was so different in almost every respect that he made sense as another monster. I almost feel like Legendary may be different, but he's respectful enough that it that it would not work the same way to make him a separate monster within the Toho universe. But, I mean, anything's possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they they... I think they strive to make him actually a Godzilla like because I think the difference here is that it was made by people who respected Godzilla and not people and not people who hated Godzilla and wanted to do something completely different. So I don't know. I, I don't think they would ever try to make him his own monster, but I could see him like if they were to ever have a Toho Godzilla appear next to the legendary Godzilla. I don't think they ever would. But if they were to do that, I could see I feel like the legendary Godzilla could be reworked into like a more ancient version of the Godzilla species or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I stand as well. I can I definitely think this incarnation is more Godzilla and could definitely stand up as its own incarnation. And I definitely I agree with you, Nick. I'd rather see him as more like an ancient Godzilla for some big 80th anniversary. Day of the Doctor kind of film where he's like meets all the other total Godzillas for some threat. So while we're on chubby versions of monsters
0: that I don't care as much for, not as big a fan of chubby Anguirus uh, either. I mean, I was not a fan of even chubbier looking Anguirus from singular point from the trailers. But when we saw that in motion, he actually doesn't look half bad. But um, seeing this guy in motion, I feel like he does still kind of look Half bad. He's kind of a, a slightly bloated version to me. But I do like his rolling ball attack. That's a nice uh, little, you know, addition to the power
2: set. I actually have a hot take, and that's that I honestly really like the Sangiris. I don't have much to say about him, but I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I grew up on this movie or what, but I've always genuinely liked the Sangiris design. And yeah, the the ball attack is awesome.
1: I'm in the same boat. Uh, This I-loving Gears, he's one of my favorite characters. And I can't hate this one because he's the one that kind of got me. He's the one that kind of introduced me to the character, so I kind of love it. He's definitely got that tenacity and, like, bulldog determination. And I kind of don't mind that he's chubby. I think it works both for the ball attack and also because it kind of makes him look more... I don't know. I think the best way I can say it is he makes him look kind of... Doesn't sound like it isn't gonna work. I just talked about how like I like how determined he looks. I mean, how like gritty he is. But it you know, honestly makes him look kind of cute, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Well, I'll take a brief interruption from new kaiju designs that I don't like and you guys do uh to talk about something else I don't like, and that is I could really do without the color filters in this movie. Like, yeah, <laughs> the ice blue is less preferable, but the mustard yellow in a lot of oh, these scenes yeah. is really just painful. Like don't don't do that uncolor grade your footage
2: it's so bad
0: it really <laughs> I isn't hate good
2: the look of this movie <laughs>
0: like they don't always use it or or sometimes they use it more subtly and it's fine
1: but when they go over the top with the color filters it's just i'm probably gonna set off some comments because of this comment but this movie looks like a bad snyder flick it's like the most out the most like Okay, I'm sick of looking this color palette of all time.
0: So speaking of Kaiju that uh, I'm not a fan of the execution of, I feel like Minya does not look good. He reminds me of Star Trek Discovery's take on the Telosians. He's like too streamlined and smoothed out and ends up just missing the character that is inherent in the design. Like, I feel like all of the personality got smoothed out of his face.
2: I like his face. I don't like the rest of him, but I honestly don't mind the more Godzillion looking face.
1: I agree with Andrew. I love Manila to bits. I, he's an underrated character, in my opinion, and I just, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head for me. It's just, he's kind of, he. while he's still the Manila I love, he's just kind of been, the design kind of smoothed out everything, so there's none of that, like, ugly charm that he used to have back in the 60s. This is going to be a fun game. Is there any kaiju
0: design in the film that all three of us will actually agree on?
1: I don't know. (laughs) King Caesar, we can all agree he sucks.
2: No, I like him. No, we don't. (laughs) We don't all agree, sadly. Damn it. I like him. (laughs) But, um, in terms of something that I don't like about this version of Minya, it's his weird noises that he makes. (laughs) oh. I don't even know how to describe them. I just think they sound horrifically ugly. But I, he still has that classic Minya personality, in my opinion. And so I still really enjoy when he's on screen.
0: They are not sufficiently donkey.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> to be honest, they sound like Kitamura grabbed a bunch of sound effects from like an unused PBS or Nickelodeon shell, just gave them to the sound department, said... Don't like let us get food over these. And they just put them through the kaiju filter 20 times until they were like the worst <laughs> things ever.
2: <laughs> I just, nothing's better than Minya trying to drive that truck. That is pretty great. And I will say all the battle scenes
0: against the kaiju is they're just unleashed everywhere. And then getting that like comic relief of the, the interruption of the Minya scene and then cutting back to the battle and everything's starting to go badly and you know Kamakura is taking down the eclair and everything. And then just cutting to the really impressive pyrotechnics of the refinery assault, which I don't love everything about that scene, but the pyrotechnics are fantastic. Like, it's a really nice sequence of events that just works really well, that, that stretch of the film. Once, once we've finished with the comic relief cop versus
1: car owner scene, you know, everything after that is gold. Yeah, that's I that's what I've kind of come around in this film. There's definitely a lot of kaiju designs that do not work and there's definitely a couple like wonky action sequences more from the planning but you cannot deny the effects in this film this is this was the last hurrah for suits and everything and the effects just look fantastic like everything is like on point you got i kind of got to give to a round of applause on this you know i wasn't even thinking about that being sort of a last hurrah for godzilla
0: suitmation that's depressing and you know the idea of this having the most monsters of any g film is a bit squandered here, I think, and I don't love that. And a lot of their designs are not so great for me, um, like like we keep dancing around. Uh, King Caesar, to me, is especially atrocious just because he's too slim and too streamlined. He just looks like a ballet dancer. But a lot of them are so underutilized, they might as well not be there at all. And I think that that's not a, a new complaint. But I do have to admit, I don't think this movie was aimed at us, at least not us as we are now. Because, like, the battle montage, once we we get into the whole Godzilla taking them out left, right, and center, that is exactly the way that 13-year-old Andrew thought it should go. Like, why are we wasting a whole movie on Ibarra or Titanosaurus or Kumanga? Like, one blast of atomic breath and they're toast. Godzilla's as the strong as there is, and sometimes it legitimately annoyed me that some of these monsters were treated as equal threats and full, like, marquee-name monsters compared to some of the other legitimate threats, like Mechagodzilla. It, It felt like it weakened Godzilla, and his proven track record meant that he deserved to tear through them like tissue paper. And honestly, when this came out, I was too old to appreciate it in that mindset anymore, starting with Gigan's beheading and on through the sequence. But this would have been perfect wish fulfillment for my teenage self. And I kind of wonder if that's what we're seeing with the way that the kaiju are used here. Like when Andrew Adamson added that epic battle scene into the Narnia films that weren't there in the books because that's what he saw in his head as a kid. Or some of the scenes we've gotten in the MonsterVerse films that the directors have described as something they've wanted to see since they were kids. I think we might be kind of seeing the fulfillment of a childhood vision of Godzilla pitched and aimed at, you know, kids, at preteens that feel the same way, that want to see Godzilla as the baddest dude on the block that doesn't even break a sweat to take out all but the biggest threats, to really just emphasize his power, even at the expense of nerfing a lot of these opponents. Like, even now, as an adult, there is a bit of a thrill seeing Godzilla just wade through waves of his enemies, as unstoppable as somewhere deep down I've always felt he should be. So I honestly think this film was maybe pitched at the youth crowd and the the, the ones that would find everything about this, the epitome of awesome. So even the kaiju designs could be their own issue, like I don't get why Kumanga is shooting perfectly crafted nets and I can't abide the soccer scene, I can't begrudge the film the way it treats these kaijus in a brief montage only as much as I don't like it because I don't think it's, it's for me. It's for the teenager and pre that would absolutely love it that I can still at least remember being.
2: You put that really well. Uh, I never actually thought about it that way, and I was going to complain about how most monsters in this movie are kind of done dirty, but now that you've said that, I'm kind of looking at it from a di- different perspective. And yeah, as a kid, I loved watching Godzilla just rip through all of these monsters like they were nothing. And so yeah, you might be onto something. They might have just been aiming at a younger audience who would just want to see Godzilla just blow through all these enemies.
1: Again, this is my first Godzilla film. That's definitely what got me interested. Just like there's all these cool monsters and there's this really, really cool one who like can rip through everyone easily. It really got me attracted to the film. I also think it just does a good job of showing like, it definitely gives the impression of like the monster films. Like there's a reason he's a King that he's, just impossibly strong compared to everyone else. And that's why he's kind of gets his, his own like special place. And I don't know. I kind of think that it's interesting that that whole idea kind of starts with this film, despite the fact that a lot of people don't like it because the way they execute it is him ripping through everyone easily. I don't know. I think it's an interesting dichotomy.
0: So stepping back to sort of where we left off in the montage, because there are just so many guides you to go through, I have mixed feelings about the Eberus scene and his design. I I don't know. He's always been a bit of a generic shrimp, but again, I, I feel like this one's kind of a bit lacking the personality. The old one had a little smoother, a little plasticky and orange, but I don't know. It's fine. It's just kind of, it doesn't stand out. It's a little generic. But the one thing I do like about this scene is the idea they've developed personal scale weapons for the mutants to use against kaiju. And it is a really awesome scene of them charging through the explosions. Like, it can be a little Power Rangers at times, and some of those stunts make me roll my eyes a little. But overall, it's really great. And I love the human-kaiju interaction. So, you know, whatever else you could say for this film it is not lacking in cool factor. It's a mixed bag for me in that scene, but overall, I really enjoy that one.
2: Yeah, I'm a little conflicted on Embera. His design, I, it's like, I like it. I think it's a cool looking suit, but yeah, it doesn't really feel like I'm looking at Ebra. Like I would like it as like a different shrimp slash lobster, whatever monster. Which would sound
0: ridiculously specific. Like we need more of those, except This literally is a franchise that has more of those, thanks to Space Amoeba.
2: We need a pistol shrimp kaiju. Where's that at? It's literally a shrimp with a claw so big and powerful that when it closes it shut, it creates a little explosion in the water. And that's real. Why is there not a kaiju based off of that? That would be amazing.
1: I actually do kind of love Ebra in this, even though I agree a pistol shrimp variant of Ebra would be amazing. I genuinely do love this whole sequence just because it's just such a fun, unique take on the military taking on Kaiju to see them like running around with these handheld weapons, trying to take it down. And I think it works specifically because it is Ebera, who's always been like, even though in, in horror of the deep, he did give Godzilla a good fight. He's never been like, one of the big names. If they try to do this with like Mechagodzilla, you know people would be pissed. But like since Ebra kind of makes sense. And on that note, even though it just, it does the smog monster dirty, I love the little gag of like Godzilla just manhandling Ebra and Hadora like almost completely off screen while the Zillion while the controller is just like, come on, you, you almost got, you almost got, and they're dead. Yeah, his reaction there is great,
0: and. Yeah, Hedorah is the one that's like... Oh, man. Because I am intrigued by all the deleted scenes under under the end credits. Like, after Godzilla 2014, this is probably my most desired deleted scenes for any Godzilla film. It feels like this series is a lot like the Indiana Jones series. Like, always tantalizing us with the most interesting deleted scenes that we know exist, but we're never going to get to see. But... Yeah, based on those glimpses, I really like the form and function of their Hedorah a lot. And as someone who really likes Hedorah as a kaiju, I wish that Hedorah had gotten a little more than that. Like, uh, th- that one does bother me only because it's one of, to me, the powerhouses getting done that. Like, doing that to I- Ibira to the Kamakuras, to Kumanga, that's fine. Doing that to Hedorah, eh, I don't know if I'm as okay with that. But, if nothing else, I just wish we'd been able to see Hedorah in action, just keep that Rampage shot in. A, a couple of, I'd like to see more of that suit. They put enough work into it and you can barely see it in the movie. I, I just
1: I just want to see more of it. I agree completely. Relief Akita key cut
2: <laughs> Yeah, Hedor is the one we can complain about. We're allowed to complain about that one. Uh, even as a kid, that annoyed me, especially, yeah, once those opening, or once those closing credits rolled and I saw him... Wrecking a city, and I was like, "Come on, why, why didn't we get to see that?"
0: You know what? Just cut out the kid, the Vancouver kid that throws his toys in the fire, yeah, and replace those thirty seconds with Hedora attacking a city. Come on, yeah, easy.
2: You can cut James out of the movie; it's fine. (laughs) We, we, we want to see Hedora, like, and it it just—I don't know—it annoyed me because, like, he was one of the ones that really, really gave Godzilla a hard time. Like he's up there with Mecha Godzilla, And honestly, he's probably stronger. He's way stronger than Showa Ghidorah, no matter what Princess Sauno tells us. Um, so that I don't know. That just frustrates me. Every every other monster I'm I'm kind of cool with now getting wasted like that after the perspective that we looked at it from today, but Hador is the one that annoys me still.
0: You know, there's a twist on the show a series that I'd like to see, actually. It turns out that like King Ghidorah was always just a mid-tier kaiju, like not that strong at all. And Princess Salno like hit her head and she was just hallucinating. She was making it all up. He had he was never a destroyer of worlds, but then he gets there to Earth and he has this huge reputation and the whole rest of the series He's just trying to live up to, like, be this destroyer of worlds when he's really this insecure mid-tier kaiju that's that's trying to hit above his, you know, weight grade. I'd like to see that, like, secret backstory, the, the untold story of Ghidorah, the novel from his perspective. Oh, my God. I need that
1: so bad, Andrew. Oh, my God. That is fantastic.
0: <laughs> and then Godzilla picked me up and threw me over his shoulder right at the base of the tower that looked like him. Gigan was laughing at me everyone was so embarrassed they literally started telling people it was a different Ghidorah. It wasn't even me to try it. Uh, After that, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I flew (laughs) into space. I fell in with a bad crowd. First the Garoga and then
1: the Kilax. It was was not good for me. You know, that actually gave me a good transition idea. What do y'all think of Kaiser Ghidorah slash X
2: monster version? I like Monster X a lot. I don't like Kaiser Ghidorah.
1: Hey, we... we
0: but if, if Brendan agrees, then we're three for three. Oh. Yeah, I, I kind of love Monster X, but I do not care for Kaiser Ghidorah at all.
1: <laughs> That's... Uh, yeah, we're, we still haven't gotten a streak yet. I actually <laughs> didn't used to stand by you guys. That was my opinion for a while. But these last few rewatches, I really have grown to like Kaiser more. I really like his kind of like more deformed design. He kind of looks more like a final boss, Kidora, in contrast to the more, like, glittering and, like, beautiful destroyer we usually see. Well, X, uh, Monster X, I keep on forgetting there's another X in this movie, uh, I think that Monster X is a cool idea to have a humanoid kaiju, but I kind of feel like his design is intimidating, but it just kind of... I don't know, it's kind of stopped working for me the more time they watch this film. It just kind of feels like, I don't want to say generic, it's just something about it having not clicked with me like it did when I watched this in my youth.
2: I like Monster X's, like, skeletal, humanoid look, um, and I like the little, like how there's, like, a hint of the three heads on him. I think that's really cool, and... I don't know, he kind of reminds me of, like an Ultraman monster, sort of. And I think it's kind of cool to just see this weird, humanoid, slender, agile monster fighting Godzilla. And I think it's really interesting. But Kaiser Ghidorah, I just, you know, it, I'm, it's so conflicting for me because I find Monster X's, like, the transformation sequence I find really exciting and cool. But then it's like once it pans out and shows you Kaiser Ghidorah and what he looks like, I just find it so disappointing. I don't like that. He's got four legs (laughs) like I think that works better for death Ghidorah than it does Kaiser Ghidorah. And I just I don't know. I just kind of wish they would have gone with just a traditional King Ghidorah for this movie. I think it just would have made more sense, especially for the 50th anniversary. But, I don't know, his roar is cool. I think he has a genuinely unnerving roar.
0: Alternate take. I know this would not be pleasing to everyone else that is not me that loves King Ghidorah and wants to see more of him instead of less of him in general, but what if we didn't even have King Kidra in this movie or threw him into the montage getting taken out in two seconds and Monster X was in fact the new fake Godzilla, with classic Showa Mecha Godzilla inside. I think that'd be cool. But yeah, um, Monster X's arrival is really great. Sort of out of focus in the background with the lightning. I do feel like he is too humanoid. I said sort of Power Rangers, so I think that fits with what you're saying, sort of Ultraman. But to me, a lot of the kaiju here do. Like, like again, I feel like King Caesar like looks like that too. too. Slender and humanoid. So I I just feel like that's something about the designs in this movie, but in my head, it's like if you take the idea of Monster X and unfinal wars Tim, he'd look just as fantastic as to me show a King Caesar and Angiris and Minya do. Like, you know, the, like the the aspects of it being a little too humanoid, a little too slender that I don't care for, I almost imagine is like a filter placed over the camera for Final Wars. That just applies to all kaiju. So outside of his film, I think he could really work if that makes any sense at all. But I do like, yeah, some interesting form language in the head, like the glowing eyes, the subtle triple heads. And then Kaiser Ghidorah, I agree, the transformation sequence is really well done. But once he transforms, like it's a great sequence. And then you see, oh, this is, This is what the whole thing looks like. Like, I don't think the colored scheme, the the modeled yellow and blue is good for him. And the quadruped nature, it's unique, but I don't feel like it really adds anything to this particular design. And, you know, this is something that may just be me. But the vampire bite, I wish they hadn't done that. Don't get me wrong. I think it works just fine in this film. I think it works well to you know, overpower the overpowered guy like to, to out OP Godzilla. And that's just kind of, uh, uh, you know, to, to escalate the threat. But I wish it had not become a new standard addition to the Ghidorah mythology. I like it as a one off. I don't like that it's now shown up in Planet either and King of the Monsters. And basically every time Ghidorah has shown up since. Like it feels like a cheap overpowered ability that just takes things from a fight to a rather boring single obstacle to be overcome. It's like it, it's it's like you're playing a boss battle in a video game, and all of a sudden you get to a cutscene of your character being stabbed. It's not even part of the fight anymore. It's not even anything you could do anything about. It's just a pre-rendered cutscene. It's just a, a, an automatic action that you can't. I don't know. Here, narratively, it demonstrates Geeter's unstoppability. And it does the same in the anime, but it still feels kind of like a ripoff. And in King of the Monsters, like we talked about, it's just an unnecessary extra reversal to, oh no, King Ghidorah's on top. Oh no, Godzilla's on top. Oh no, King Gita is on top. Oh no, Godzilla's on top. That made it just go on a little too long. Like, I hope it's just something that his next appearance will be without, because I feel like it works better as a one-off than a new standard power. And without getting into, sing- uh, without getting into singular power point spoilers. Uh, there are a number of trends that I find the Rewa era that it's like, no, no, guys, that was a one-off. Don't keep doing that. Don't keep doing that. That I, I feel like I probably will be outvoted on by, you know, Japanese filmmakers that I've never spoken to and never will. Um, but this is, uh, this is just one of those that I really would love it. If somehow my brainwaves can reach out across the Pacific and to the, to the next, Japanese filmmakers, whoever that might be, to say Ghidorah does not need an immobilizing OP vampire bite. It, it it just doesn't have that much narrative potential.
2: How come Godzilla can fight Ghidorah with a vampire bite, but they won't make the Godzilla vs. Dracula movie I talked about last time, and now my dogs are barking? I
0: love that that has only escalated, that now it's
1: just, it's to two dogs and each other. I know. <laughs> Release Godzilla versus Dracula, along with the Kitamura cut. Please. But uh, I was going to say, yeah, I got to agree with you guys. I do think Kaiser's kind of cool, but I definitely think he had some flaws. Like, I think the main thing that makes me dislike the quadrupedal stuff is, to be honest, there's no nice way to say it. It looks like the old two guys in a horse costume effect. It honestly. really does! Yes! I agree! i thought it that my really whole It really does life. look like that. <laughs> as much as they try and I think that's why it doesn't work but I do also think it is weird I feel like there should be something in the backstory to this movie that they met King Ghidorah because then making Kai making Kaiser Ghidorah who has four legs and it's so different would make more sense instead of just being like oh it's just an, it's a new monster it's like oh no it's another Ghidorah I mean these things are there but yeah I kinda agree. It also gives rise to the perpetual linguists'
0: query. Is a kaiser an upgrade from a king? I'm not even sure. It feels like there is one other kaiju we should uh, maybe talk about. There's this little monster called Godzilla in the film, whose design, as I understand it, has been unanimously received as a new fandom favorite and uh, is not in any way disliked by anyone.
1: Oh, yeah, Godzilla. I've heard of him. was he in that new Kong movie? Barely. <laughs> <laughs> I I do really
0: love when, you know, we get that one is me and the other Godzilla, and then we just get this quick cut m- montage, and it's like alternating between, like, close up, far off shot, he's roaring, there's lightning, and we got a couple flashes of the Zillion kid's face. It's almost like, you know, controller of planet X, meet Godzilla, he will be your doom, and I really love that little sequence, just the way it's put together editing-wise
1: really works for me. I adore this Godzilla, I don't care what anyone says, I friggin' adore this design. It's angular, it's light, it looks like it can make sense doing all this crazy fighting, but it still looks ridiculously imposing i love how the eyes like always kind of like glow especially with the way they're slanted and like sometimes they'll be like glowing like this bright fiery orange and other times will just be like kind of like shadowed and like mysterious i think it's just amazing and i think the fact that the design kind of off-putting kind of works like at first you don't think that that's intimidating kind of even silly but when it gets going starts fighting you kind of start getting, OK, yeah, this is the king of the monster. This is the most dangerous monster on Earth. They need to awaken to save the world. And like, I, I can't help it. I just love it. It's just the eyebrows. I love Godzilla's big, angry eyebrows like 1954, 1964, 2001. And they this Godzilla has some of the best ones. He's just he just always pissed off. And it's just perfect for me.
2: Yeah, I I love this Godzilla design. I see people dunk on it sometimes. Um, But I don't know. I think it's cool. I like the more slender look. And I think the spines are cool. I love that it has, like, the typical, like, Millennium era, like, spiky and, like, um, sharp-looking, tapered-off tail. I love that. And, yeah, my absolute favorite thing about this design is the way the eyebrows will often have, like, his eyes will be, like, blacked out from like the shadow casted from his, from the like huge eyebrows (laughs) and saying huge eyebrows, it makes it sound like he looks ridiculous. But to me, I think he just looks awesome because of it. And something else that I love about this Godzilla is like, he's got this reputation in this movie where everyone on earth knows that he is a big deal. Like they know that, Waking up Godzilla could potentially be an absolutely awful idea. And I don't know. I just think that's so cool.
0: Well, this time it is my turn to disrupt consensus because, yeah, this is not my favorite Godzilla design. And for me, you know, again, just like Monster X, just like King Caesar especially, it feels too slender to me, too slim for its proportions, this this Godzilla, if, if that makes any sense. Just too svelte and streamlined, and I think that just makes him look a little too human. And the Showa Godzillas, in general, I know blasphemy, but have never really been my favorite for that same reason, because they look a lot more like a human. I feel like a lot of the High Zion Millennium designs lessen that just guy-in-a-suit look, but this one recaptures it to a greater degree than even the most human-looking Showa ones do to me. Um, so I do not really care for that. And the face, which I've heard called a rat face, I don't know. I don't hate it, honestly. It's fine. And I, I agree w- with you guys about the, you know, the angry brow. But I just don't, I don't love the face. It's not one of my favorites. I still much prefer something like a high eye or a 2000. And I really don't care for the body. I mean, he's a cool Godzilla. Don't get me wrong. I, I love some of the things like, Planting his feet and tail in the earth to channel its power, and you know some of his feats that he has, and just how how really powerful he is. He he does a lot of cool things, but design wise, not my favorite. I do have to wonder though if Captain Gordon's line, "Godzilla thinks her final battle is still going on," is like intentional for this being a female incarnation of Godzilla, or if that was just like a mistranslation mispronunciation of the dialogue that they went with
2: i think he says our i think he says our last battle but i think he just says it weird because as a kid i always thought he said her but now that i'm like watching it as an adult i'm like is he saying he thinks our last battle is still going on because the last battle godzilla was in was against oh, Gordon and that would make a lot of so.
1: sense a lot more sense in fact yeah i understand less and less what don fry says every time i watch this that guy needs subtitles <laughs> like in real life but um
2: honestly he kind of does sometimes
1: <laughs> honestly i do like i do kind of agree with, with on what you said andrew though i don't get where people get the rat face from but uh i did want to add on to it and say i really like the whole he still thinks he's fighting his last battle and just so determined to stop to like finally get the and it's kinda reminds me of another great moment in Godzilla vs. Mothra ninety-two, where he swims through the volcano just because he's not done with Battery yet, that I just love. Like that he's that pissed off that he'll he's gonna go to these lengths to kill you. But um my last two watches, my favorite scene in the whole movie, honestly, has to be when the grandfather and Manila and the kid are watching Godzilla Rampage in the distance. And he just kind of starts describing about how mankind made a great fire, then made Godzilla angry, and he's never been able to forgive us. There's something about that scene that just, like, registers with me. It kind of, like, carries the weight of how, like, how long this war has been going on. It Like, that all this time has gone on, and, like, both sides, Godzilla and human seem to be almost done with the whole endless war over the first nuclear bomb and i think it really helps to the ending which i genuinely love i love that godzilla finally with mainly because of manila but also because i think just like time he just kind of like finally lets the grudge go and goes off on his own and there's like that final line implying that now human and godzilla are gonna fight side by side and i don't know it's just a great ending i think there's not a better way the series could have ended Now that Godzilla's
0: uh, awake and rampaging and we've covered a lot of the montage stuff already, but uh, really that soccer scene, just why? Like the three kaiju are mostly shown as chumps anyway, but then why does King Caesar kick Anguirus into a rock wall, rendering him unconscious when they're allies? Like why does Godzilla dive to try and stop it and take more pain by getting hit by Angiris, even though he fails to do so? It's just so unbearably silly and not even in like the monster zero dance or like tail slide sense, but just like the, no, this hurts my brain. What possible reason would any of these characters have to be doing this? And even if it's just supposed to be funny, it's not, why would it, why would, why would that be funny? I, what was the thought process behind this sequence? Like just doing something random and stupid doesn't mean that it's funny, that there's a difference.
2: Yeah. I, It's weird. Like, I feel like Kitamura was probably trying to do, like, the silly Showa thing, but I think it just uh, just didn't work.
0: Then when we get to the end, it's funny because Monster X's arrival still has, like, a half hour left in the film, but so much has happened in the plot, like the runtime of an entire Showa Godzilla film has already elapsed, that it always feels like everything should be Winding down just minutes from the climax instead of like still a half hour away. And similarly, it always surprises me that Kaiser Ghidorah doesn't even come out until after all the battle aboard the mothership has been concluded. Like the Godzilla Monster X battle is really lengthy with a lot of dead spots. Like after a while, the movie seems to forget it's even happening for about 10 minutes straight, where we're just focusing on the characters inside again. It it just suddenly stops being Godzilla's movie for a long span of time. It makes it clear that that fight is not important. And then when Kaiser shows up, it suddenly stops being anything but Godzilla's movie for a long span of time. It, It feels like that the pacing could have been better balanced but then the battle itself feels really one-sided and the entire sequence lasts just over three minutes after Godzilla's been fighting Monster X for about 20. I mean, I am a defender of Godzilla 2014. I know it's not all about the screen time. I brought that up both last episode and this one, only in proportion to the choices made by the same team elsewhere. I feel like it's just a little weird the way that happens.
2: Yeah, it's kind of odd. Um... It just kind of really points to like how prioritized like the human action scenes were. Like, I feel like the the battle between Godzilla and Monster X would not have gone on half as long if it wasn't simultaneously going on with the fight against the Exilions. But in terms of that fight with Kaiser Ghidorah, I love that the Spiral Ray comes back. I think that's so cool. And it's kind of ironic because Kitamura is very vocal about like how he hasn't liked Godzilla since the Showa era. So it's kind of odd that he brings back a Heisei era attack here. But I'm not complaining because the spiral ray is dope and he probably is also very aware that the spiral ray is dope. So, or at least that's my in real life headcanon.
0: Kaiser Ghidorah just feels like an afterthought. Like, because he's the classic nemesis, he appears, it's contractually obligated, you can't leave out Ghidorah kind of a thing. But honestly, I feel like it adds almost nothing. Like if Monster X had suddenly gained vampire bite abilities from the, you know, controller of planet X transferred him his power as he died or something, it wouldn't really have made any difference story-wise. Like, nothing was added by having him transformed. But yeah, I I mean, I would agree The Gotango deploying satellites for a Kaiser Energy power-up, Godzilla's just takedown of, you know, the different heads, and then the spiral ray, all of it is, like, pretty great. Like, well, to me, Kaiser Ghidorah feels unnecessary and kind of ugly— and, like, it maybe ruined the King Ghidorah mythos forever by turning everything into invincible vampiric mode and turning, like, it had no point or purpose. At least we got a cool 30 seconds out of it. So there's that.
1: Yeah, it's very messy, the climax, but I think the only bit I do like is when... Osaki is beating down the controller and then they slowly pan the camera to show Godzilla doing the same thing to Monster X I like that bit, that bit's cool
0: I like that, but it also always bothers me because they didn't remember to slow down the footage to make things look kaiju sized like normal, so Godzilla and Monster X are moving way too fast on that screen because they're doubtless playing the the footage on the monitor back in real time instead of the slowed down in post version so that always annoys me a little. It's like, well, that doesn't look right, but I like the idea of it. Just not quite the execution.
2: Yeah, I feel like they probably did that so that it was more of the mirror image of Ozaki fighting the Exilion controller, because it's like they probably just left it like fast. So that way it just like matched the speed of Ozaki, I guess. But that doesn't make it like look good. <laughs> So, you'd think that we would save Godzilla for last, but no. We save the best for last. It's time to talk about Mothra. I get so hyped when Mothra shows up in this movie. She's not in it for very long, but, like, whenever it cuts to the Shobujin summoning her, and then you see her flying over the water, I just, I get, I'm just so ready. And then she has like a pretty cool fight with Gigan. Like, I mean, it's nothing like spectacular, but I think they're doing some cool CGI stuff in there that's leagues ahead of the last time CGI was heavily associated with Mothra, uh, which would be, I guess, in the Rebirth of Mothra trilogy where the CGI in that was not super good. (laughs) But um,
0: I feel like we had some CGI Mothra in GMK that was pretty good though.
2: Yeah, that's true. You're right, actually, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just, this fight's cool. Like, it's just cool seeing them, like, flying around and colliding with each other, and then Mothra just, like, catches fire and rams into Gigan and just annihilates him, and it's insane. And I think the end credits, I've heard that the end credits are supposed to imply that she's alive, but I don't know if that's ever been confirmed, but my headcanon is that she survived because I love Mothra too much.
0: Yeah, we do see her flying back to the island in the end credits one of the shots is is her flying back toward the island which is definitely not from any other part of the film so i like to i I like to head it to to choose to believe that those end credit scenes are canon yeah and mothra pulls a very rare survival here like i think she earned it it feels kind of nice for godzilla's 50th anniversary to pull a doctor who
1: everybody lives for poor often dying Mothra. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think she survived that. I'm also going to say that while I do think that this is sadly the movie with the least to do with her, I also agree I friggin' love Mothra in this. This is my first Mothra. I still absolutely adore this design, even though it's technically just a slightly less vibrant version of the 2003 one. I think she's fantastic. I really love how... The thing I love about the Gigant fight so much is that She's basically just being totally on the defense and turning all of his offense against him. Just like using the scales to block his fire. I mean, to block his, what is it? His eye beam tricking his razor disc into coming back around against him. And then when he finally does hit her and make her explode, she turns that into the weapon that finally puts him down for good by becoming the fire Mothra, as Bandai called it and sold like eight different repaints. But yeah, I just, Mothra's great in this, even though she doesn't have a lot to do. They sold action figure
0: variants of Mothra on fire.
2: Yeah, she's like colored orange. Wow, okay. Yeah, they just
1: took like the vinyl, made a translucent orange and sold it. It's not like a different form
0: like Burning Godzilla. This is really just Mothra on fire. I, I've seen people do joke like they'll do charcoal briquettes or little black painted skeletons and be like, "Here's Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru at the end of A New Hope action figures," <laughs> and it, it feels like literally doing that. Like, dude, that's that's in bad taste. Like, that's literally just Mothra that is on fire, the regular Mothra dying on fire. Why? Why, why would you make an action figure of that? You're sick.
2: Unless she does survive, in which case, I suppose, yeah, it's totally badass.
0: I agree. I get super hyped up when they summon Mothra out. And like I said it, it earlier, it comes just after they've bored their way into the mothership. They're about to win. And then suddenly the aliens beam in, kill all the bridge crew, which is like, dude, there's barely any humans left already. These guys survived so much. And now they just, oh, that, that's really genuinely upsetting. And then Mothra is called out. And it's like, yes, there's still a chance. But I, I, it does kind of... I'm a little sad about how much of an afterthought she is. She literally, like, to the point where I, we left her for last, personally, because I forgot she was even in this movie. Like, uh, she is so disconnected to everything. She comes to help with the Monster X, and I wish she'd gotten to do that at least a little, because she shows up. And they call out another monster that, as far as we knew, was already dead that wasn't even going to be deployed, just an extra little sideshow for her to go off. It it almost feels like a fan edit, like they grabbed footage from another Mothra movie and spliced it into this one because she literally never shows up on screen with any, you know. I, I wish that she had been able to team up with Godzilla for at least a moment before she had gotten distracted, that it felt like when she showed up, she actually Helped with it, or at least that Gaigen had been called out against Godzilla and she shows up to take the heat off of him. Because as it is now, it feels like she comes to help, but she accomplishes literally nothing except getting a little side fight against another monster that wouldn't have been called out anyway unless she showed up. You know, I I just wish that she didn't feel so disconnected, that she had some role in actually aiding Godzilla or aiding the team on the mothership or something that actually made the situation better rather than just having a fight that wouldn't have even happened if she hadn't showed up. So it didn't add to anything or help with anything. Don't get me wrong. Her parts are great. Like I I really like the fight. I just wish that they had a little bit more bearing on anything else that was going on. It's like if Godzilla and Jaguar had never actually met and just fought Megalon and Gigan in separate locations but yeah, the, the moment where Gigan thinks he's killed Mothra and turns and poses in front of the explosion, then gets hit from behind, then turns to see what happened and his head falls off, that's great. And his body like still functioning anyway, and then Mothra kamikaze it while on fire, that's amazing. I, I do love the sequence. I just wish it had been made more relevant to the rest of the plot.
2: Yeah, I think that makes total sense. It would have been nice to have it feel more like a tag like a classic like show a tag team battle. I think that would have been really cool.
1: I think what should have happened is they shouldn't have like implied she died until the end credits and she should have like reappeared out of the fire to help Godzilla fight Kaiser for a bit before Ozaki gave him the power up for the fire. Array. I feel like that would have been pretty cool. That would have been, and it would have made a nice parallel to King of the Monsters
0: in advance. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. That would actually work really well because it could even be that Godzilla's getting beat down by Monster X, Mothra shows up out of the fire to help him out, but then he transforms into Kaiser Ghidorah and he's too much for them to handle. Like, I feel like, or or that he's in the middle of the vampire bites and Mothra's the one that shows up and rescues him from that, but now Godzilla's just keeping his distance and being wary, like, well, gosh, I know I can't get in close to him, what am I gonna do now? And so you still have Ozaki coming to save the day, but you would still have a chance to give Mothra a moment to actually shine in fighting alongside Godzilla. That would have been nice. I really like your idea.
2: Real quick, is there any design we all agree on? It seemed like we all agreed that
0: Kaiser Ghidorah was mediocre.
2: Yeah, I mean, Brendan likes him, though, right? I do like him.
1: Um, What about Rodan? What do we think about him? I
2: like Rodan. I like his design in this. I think it's pretty cool. It's not my favorite, but I like it. I think he's neat, kind
1: of like a i said this before but i think he weirdly kind of looks like a burton batman but he's pretty cool
0: yeah i mean i think we all agree that hedora is looks awesome yeah
1: That's and we true. oh yeah we do all agree he looks great and there should have been more of him yeah so there's one there's there one at is. least hedora wins hedora wins <laughs> as he should have from the beginning <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: okay i just wanted to check and see if there was at least one we can move on now <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to the score for this film, which was done by Keith Emerson, Nobuhiko Morino, and Daisuke Yano.
0: I already spoke at length about my love for the opening, you know, uh, the Godzilla theme, which we get reprised uh, a few times. That, to me, is just fantastic action music. Like that's the thing I use when I'm working out. Like that's the thing that I've uh, done movie trailers, edited together trailers for my movies too. Like it's a great piece of music. Um, And I like the opening credits music, like the actual, you know, slight techno remix of the original theme uh, pretty well. But the piece of music that comes between them and loops endlessly over the end credits is an actual war crime that needs to be tried at The Hague. I agree. Like I literally never watched the end credits without muting it. I would make a fan edit of this film just to replace that piece of music and maybe see if I could erase the credits from on top of Hidora's Rampage and add it back in. But it, I, I would literally just make a fan edit and burn a brand new Blu-ray just so that I could have the end credits with a different piece of music over
2: it. It's just dreadful. It really
1: is. <laughs> it actively hurts to listen to after a while. It's just like, it sounds like elevator music in that it's just like the same thing over and over again until it like hurts your brain to keep listening but it's like the same note over and over and over and over again. It's uh, it's infuriating. I will gladly pay for that fan
0: edit, Andrew. It's like an earworm of the dark side. Like it is like a zombie earworm. It will bore in there, but there's nothing but rot and decay that it will give to you. Like my wife literally sort of groans in dismay whenever I start this movie because she's like, oh no, that track's going to get stuck in my head for weeks again.
2: It's the bot fly of earworms. For anybody who doesn't know what a botfly is, it's a really terrible, like, bug that, like, burrows into people's heads and, like, I think lays eggs and stuff. Yeah, they're horrific. And the credits theme in this movie is the earworm equivalent of a botfly. So,
0: yep, I agree totally. Uh, In terms of music, I do like more. I really like the Kazama's Sacrifice track. Uh, It's good action music, another one that I listen to, you know, when I'm working out. I think it's also in the Ibira refinery scene. But yeah, I like that track.
2: I think it's just kind of the general like mutant or like EDF theme. And yeah, I agree. It's kind of a banger. I like it a lot. Yeah, that's a
0: good one. Oh, it's like little sort of jingle chimes, kind of the, the planning, executing a plan theme. You know, it's dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. that kind of I, I like that
2: yeah, one. Yeah I like it too it's good Um, I really really dig this Godzilla theme I think it's super cool like for a long time I was thinking I didn't like the score but now upon re-watching this movie it turns out I actually like a good deal of it I mean there's some that I don't but I think the Godzilla theme is really cool and we get like two different Gigan themes one when he first appears which is really awesome, and another one whenever he comes out with the chainsaws, which is also really awesome. And yeah, I just, I really enjoy both of those themes.
0: And a little bit of music when Godzilla's beam comes out of the ice to hit Gigan in Antarctica.
1: I really like that one too. Another favorite theme of mine is the one for when the monsters are attacking the world. Even though it's just kind of like a guitar riff going on over and over, I really do like it a lot.
2: Uh, there's this breakbeat during the motorcycle fight it just totally reminds me of the breakbeat in the Powerpuff Girls theme and you know it's it's a breakbeat they all sound kind of the same but like i swear like the drum samples are like almost the exact same it's insane how similar they sound
0: yeah i'm not a huge fan of the the motorcycle chase music overall or that just reminded me of once again the the New York scene with the cop and the ticket on the car like the the music there is just like no no
2: with like the record scratching and stuff
0: yeah yeah don't do that don't
2: yeah (laughs) um and so my last point in score is um why some 41 in the zilla fight Here's the thing. I like some 41. I don't like them as much as I did in like freshman year of high school, but like I don't know. They have their merits. They've got some fun songs, and I do like the song in this movie, uh, "We're All to Blame." I do think it's a good song, but it's such a strange choice. It's another thing that just makes this film feel just so overly early 2000s <laughs> like it's just uh, so strange
0: well they just wanted zilla's epitaph to be Size our tragedy because that's <laughs> that really sums up everything about him
1: yeah yeah that's that song both has stuck with me for years and i also still don't know if i like it i do have one more note on music because i just remembered i do like the use on the old uh sato scores again, like the Mecha Godzilla theme for the two guys in Antarctica and then Manila theme returns. I think
2: that's neat. Yeah, I like that too. Alright, so that'll bring us to Stray Thoughts.
0: So the line that says mutants are the Zillion's interbred ancestors. Like I'm wondering what that actually means because it does not come through clearly. There are, like, three or four different ways that you could interpret that line. Like, I think that they are saying perhaps that the Zillion's ancestors interbred with humanity and that produced the mutants, which would probably make the most sense because otherwise it makes it sound like... Yeah, uh, that, that's the only way I can uh, i could figure it, but it was definitely not the best way of phrasing that sentence to make it clear either in the subs or the dubs and it still makes me wonder yes but why do the kaiju and the zillions share that like okay we get where the M base came from in humanity now but why do the kaiju still have it i think i think they reference perhaps them having potentially genetically engineered it into them to control them so maybe that's it it's just like they added something for themselves they infected them with zillionness i don't know I also just kind of wonder if Japan was using the German term Kaiser, like from World War I, uh, the, their ruler, or if this was like how King Shisa became Caesar, if the translators just used a sound-alike term and the Japanese word actually has totally different connotations than ruler in German. But it would take a linguist to, uh, to say for sure. Certainly, the friends I've talked to are of the opinion that, yeah, they're just using the German word.
1: From what I've seen, I think it is just the German word, but I'm not sure. And yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. I think that's why the Kaijava Embes, it was deliberate manipulation of them so that they could be controlled. I've always thought the same thing about why the mutants are inbred, as they say, which is just like they bred with Dillions forever ago and this is just a result of it going through the down the line and because they're not pure they're not they don't have pure M base, so it's just like so they're not real Dillions, they're inbred. I I don't know. This movie's very confusing, but uh yeah, that's just me trying to explain my side of it.
0: Maybe it was, you know, Glenn and Miss Namikawa. it, it actually wasn't <laughs> that long ago after all, but Zillion's just like to make it sound like it was way in the past because no modern Zillion would ever do that.
2: (laughs) So I really like the opening credits. Um, I think they're really cool. There's like shots of, there's like footage of, I think every Godzilla movie up to this point. And so I think that was pretty neat. So something I noticed this time, and I'm not really sure why I noticed it. I just, but the scene where they're planning to awaken Godzilla I took a look at the board behind Captain Gordon and I was looking at all the names they have listed there. There are all these names and positions. And I noticed one of them. It was a a sniper named Johnny Johnny.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, I'm so glad you found that. That's wonderful. so
2: strange.
0: We need need a spinoff. Maybe, you know... ambassadors to planet X, they retool it in season two to be more kid friendly. And they bring in the sniper, Johnny, Johnny, (laughs) or or, or maybe he teams up with Mark Jackson in the later movies, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Oh man. Shooting Kaiju. No Papa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's amazing.
2: (laughs) I just needed to share that with you guys and the listeners. Thank you. That our lives are
0: immeasurably enriched now <laughs> yeah, that you
2: have that, that made my day speaking of
0: credits i really really like how they did the deleted scenes in the end credits it reminds me a lot of uh star trek 4's end credit footage montage where they actually slipped some secret bloopers into there uh i always stay to watch the final wars credits even though i do have to mute them i i never want to miss them because there's so much great stuff including seeing mothra returning home alive and well so i wish we could see the scenes in full but I like the tantalizing little glimpses we get, especially Hedorah and Mothra there.
1: I love the end credits. I especially love how, like, each Kaiju gets a little shot of it from the movie itself to kind of, like, show it off. Like, yeah. Like, all I need was, like, a little, like, Tsutmo Kitagawa's Godzilla little credit there, and it, it would have been perfect.
0: Well, and as you said, you know, this is the this is the finale. This is sort of the swan song for the Suitmation era to date. So with all the controversy about Final Wars's style and you know a lot of his content i think we can overlook how nicely it does that and sort of not only brings back each of these kaiju we may not always agree on whether it does it well with the designs or the screen time usage we've talked about that but it does bring them all back and it does give them each their little sign off the same way we have godzilla and kong both roar at the end of king kong versus godzilla this is sort of the 21st century update, and whether you like this being the finale for you know for better or worse, it is really nice, especially being the unintentional end of the suit era, that you do have that little showcase for each of the monsters there at the end.
1: Yeah, I think that's really nice.
2: Now that we got back to the topic of this being the last hurrah for the suitmation era, I was had something that I was gonna say in the monsters section and forgot. But I'm just going to leave it in this section since it's relevant to the suitmation era ending. There's this quote from Shogo Tomiyama uh, where he says, There will be another Godzilla movie, but it may come from the next generation and be completely new. Something beyond the current age. Mr. Kitamura is only 35 now, but he grew up watching Godzilla and dreamed of making such a film. Maybe there is someone out there who is just a child now who will grow up and create the next Godzilla. And, you know, him mentioning children growing up to continue the franchise. I I wanted to bring that up because the last blast of atomic breath in the suitmation era is from Minya, the son of Godzilla in the next generation of Godzilla. And so I don't know if that's intentional, but I kind of hope it was. It's my, again, What I said earlier, it's my in-real-life headcanon that that the reason Minya gets the last atomic breath of the suitmation era was because that's supposed to represent the next generation carrying the torch, the atomic breath-lit torch.
0: You know, Minya keeps getting the handoff, or Junior, or whoever. It'd be nice for him to actually get a a movie one of these days, you know? Like, they keep handing it off to him and ending the series there. (laughs) Maybe you could keep doing your weird experimental high concept sci-fi godzilla movies like your shins and your anime trilogy and your singular points with like the main godzilla but they give us a nice little traditional side series with with grown-up junior you know just having some more ordinary godzilla adventures kind of a rebirth of mothra kind of thing you know just, yeah i i'd like that i take that
1: i would like that as a lot as well and i never considered that that's genuinely kind of beautiful I really do like that a lot. Wow. I'm going to have to look at think about that next time I watch this. But um, for more miscellaneous things, later on, down the quote, Tomiyama later goes on to specify, maybe it'll be an international production with an American director, a Japanese producer, and a Chinese actor. Godzilla will be back. He's an eternal character. And I find that quote very interesting because two years ago, we got Godzilla King of the Monsters, a film by... The American Michael Doherty, produced by Yoshimi Bano, and starring Zhang Z. And I think that's really just amazing. That, like, that far-off idea that he just named as an example ended up becoming true in just, like, the last couple years. The
2: prophecy has been fulfilled.
1: Speaking of this ending, uh, I will say, I, I
0: get the message of the ending. But I have to admit that, and I don't mean to, you know, argue with what Brendan said earlier, feeling like it was all very appropriate... But to me, it feels a little tacked on, especially after the whole movie has been about war. I guess you could say it's about both sides knowing when to stop when their real enemies have been defeated. And Godzilla's conflict with humanity needed to be resolved because obviously it was an unresolved plot point from literally the first frame of the movie But the actual like youth will end the fighting, like the next generation will be the ones to bring us peace and lay aside old grudges, what might have been a good message for what I assume is the target demographic, I just feel like it wasn't really set up elsewhere in the movie. Like, it, it just kind of comes out of nowhere thematically. I wish it had been tied in a little more because it almost feels like, again, like, the whole movie's over and then we're going to throw in this other little sequence that just doesn't feel like anything has to do with anything. Kind of like the the Mothra sequence earlier. It it, it feels very tacked on, although considering the anti-pollution message at the end of Space Godzilla and a number of other uh, token messages in Godzilla film history, they just kind of throw in there because you're supposed to have one. Maybe it's just their 50th anniversary tribute to that part of the Godzilla formula.
1: Uh, Kenji Zahara's character Is has the exact same name as as Captain Jinguji from the original Atragon, and as well as the one from War in Space, apparently, which is a very odd choice, especially considering he's like one of the few characters that has nothing to do with the Gotengo at all.
0: Well, it's probably, you know, similar to why we have the return of Miss Namikawa, you know, they're just, they're throwing in classic series names very subtly in the background, just sort of as a tribute. True.
2: All right, uh, so guys, who's your MVP of Godzilla Final Wars?
0: I have two MVPs, Don Fry and Kazuki Kitamura as Captain Gordon and the Zillion Controller. Uh, I find both of their performances just an absolute delight and a large part of what makes this movie such an enjoyable watch for me. The, the twin poles around which this movie orbits for me.
1: I'm going to have to give my MVP to... Tsutomo Kitagawa. I think he did a fantastic job of Godzilla like physically in this, and I liked him a lot, so I'm gonna give it to him.
2: I also have two MVPs, um, much like Andrew. Uh, My MVPs are Akira Takarada and Kumi Mizuno, who I didn't really talk a lot about in the episode, but they are honestly quite crucial to my enjoyment of this movie like i said before they kill it especially as the fake Exilion versions of their characters and i just i don't know it just really having them there and and having kenji sahara there but i'm not giving him one of my mvps because he was kind of barely in it and kind of as like a non-character so sorry kenji sahara i love you but you know um but uh Yeah, they just really elevate the movie for me, and they really add to it feeling like a 50th anniversary blowout. You know, everyone's here. So, yeah, I'm giving it to Akira Takarada and Kumi Mizuno. So, uh, I think we've pretty much said all we can say about Godzilla Final Wars, so... What's our final thoughts on this film?
0: Final Wars reminds me a lot of Zone Fighter, honestly. It feels like a very appropriate thing to follow up our finale with. Uh, There are some really dumb elements, and I freely acknowledge them. In this case, especially the copious ripoffs, ugly visual filters, and variable acting quality. At the same time, it's just fun. I have a great affection for both Zone Fighter and Final Wars. In this case, I really enjoy the characters, especially the controller of Planet X and Captain Gordon, as my MVP indicated. The action scenes are manifold, but they are well done. The score rocks it, except for that one terrible track that needs to die and stop looping. The story is nicely complex, and I like the message. The one regarding that you are not defined by what you are, but by the choices you make. The effects are a mixed bag, but spectacle and cool factor are present in spades, and enough looks really good that I think it is a resounding success there. All in all, this film has a lot more positive qualities than its reputation gives it credit for, and enough of a good, dumb fun that few of its negative qualities actually detract from me. If Godzilla's Revenge and Godzilla 98 have gotten their fandom re evaluations and are now seen as unfairly judged at the time classics, or at least received less harshly than they used to be, I think Final Wars deserves the same treatment. It's definitely in the popcorn flick category, but it is a really entertaining film. And as long as that category of film has value, which I think it does, I enjoy a good Independence Day or Pirates of the Caribbean. This film deserves to be acknowledged as an excellent entry into that genre. It's certainly no Gojira or GMK in depth, but it represents the other end of the scale, the Megalon fun factor end of the spectrum. And in that, I think it excels. It's not for everyone and that's fine, but I have a great time with it. To use a cliched review buzzword, a rollicking good time. It's not perfect, but it's a blast.
1: I agree totally. I can't hate it. Like I said earlier, it's with my first film. I still think it's a good film, even though every martial arts backflip it does doesn't land, but I love it. I can't hate it no matter how hard I try. Yeah, I,
2: I like this movie. Again, like I said earlier, I don't love it. And there's definitely a lot that I don't like with it. But honestly, like talking about it now, like it's just the type of movie where I recognize it's not perfect, and even though it's not one of my favorites, most of what I have to say about it is positive. And so I truly do like it, and I think there's a lot of fun to be had with it. Though I get why people don't like it, I think that's totally understandable. But I don't know. I don't think, despite its flaws, I don't know if I would want to live in a world without this movie, because... (laughs) There are moments in it that give me such like fanboy joy. And that's kind of a very strong reason for why I like this movie. So, yeah, I I enjoy this movie quite a bit, uh, warts and all. It's that time again. We have listener feedback to read out. This, of course, comes from Ethan Storang on Facebook about our 33rd episode, which was about King Kong vs. Godzilla. Ethan says, I feel like I sound like a broken record at this point, but stellar episode as always. I feel a bit like Andrew and that I just don't have a whole lot to say about my love for it, but it was a delight to hear you all wax enthusiastic about this gem in the crown of Godzilla's Showa era. Regarding Kong's electricity absorption abilities, The popular anecdote is that Toho were originally interested in producing a Frankenstein vs. King Kong film. At some point, Frankenstein's monster was axed and replaced with Godzilla, with King Kong standing in for Frankenstein's monster. Elements of the script persisted, hence Kong's being powered up by electricity in the way Frankenstein's monster would more sensibly have been. While I've seen that story surface with slight variations a number of times, I've never seen an official confirmation on whether or not it's accurate, but it wouldn't make an awful lot of sense in the way of justifying Kong's sudden affinity for lightning and electricity. This wouldn't be the first time that changes in a film starring kaiju would result in the random assignment of electricity-based abilities to a kaiju that otherwise wouldn't warrant them either. I absolutely love the movie's scientific justification for it. Something about Akihiko Hirata's performance as Dr. Shigisawa just makes me absolutely buy into whatever nonsense he spouts off, and it's absolutely delightful to see him deliver such ridiculous lines in the stone-faced matter-of-fact fashion he does. I appreciate you sharing at SpaceHunterM's tweet regarding the destruction of Atami Castle. I had no frame of reference for the significance of its destruction and, knowing the context of its construction when combined with the anti-commercialism messages of this movie, I feel it stands in stark contrast to Anguirus and Godzilla's destruction of Osaka Castle in Godzilla Raids Again. One is an actual historical building with deep-rooted cultural significance, the demolition of which is a tragedy and a loss, and could be read as an indictment of Japan's scrap and build approach to modernizing their country and industry at the time. The other serves as a monument to the rampant modernization and commercialization of Japanese culture and landmarks that occurred as a result of said modernization. When watching King Kong and Godzilla face off beside a Tommy Castle, the person I was watching this with remarked that it was like watching two fighting siblings chasing each other around the house, only to come to an impasse when they put a dining table between them. It's rare that such a standoff results in the destruction of said dining table, but I guess neither sibling in that example has the raw destructive energy of King Kong. As a side note, I would also be sad if we didn't get to see Godzilla in the Monsterverse anymore, but if it paves the way for Toho to launch their World of Godzilla series of live action movies, I'm all for it. My MVP for this movie is Ichiro Arashima. As great as this movie is, and as incredible as its disparate parts are, when considered singularly, Mr. Taco is the comedic glue that holds it all together for me. This has been Ethan, and I would love to see Godzilla face off against Beast Ganon from the Legend of Zelda series. As would I, Ethan. As would I. That would be pretty cool. And I'm really glad that you gave Ichiro Arashima your MVP, because uh, I wanted to really bad, but I just had to give it to Eiji Tsuburaya. Thank you again for sending us your feedback. We always very much appreciate it. So if you would like to get in contact with us and send us feedback like Ethan did, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GForceKaijuPod. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash or you can just type into the search bar G-Force Podcast." and you can email us at GeForceKaijuPod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and please join us in two weeks when we discuss... The subject of Godzilla's character, what defines it, why does Godzilla endure, and whether or not we prefer him as a hero, a villain, or something in between. So to close us out, we will be saying which monster we think should have been in this movie.
0: I've been Andrew, and what monster should have been in Final Wars?
1: Hedorah should have. I've been Brendan, and you can't convince me that Jaguar wasn't off-screen rebuilding society as the go to go save the world. You can't.
2: So, I've been Nick, and I think that they should have had Megalon in this movie. I feel like we just really should have had another uh, Gigan-Megalon team-up, because they're a wonderful pair, and I think it's a shame that they weren't here together again And, you know, if they did put Jet Jaguar in there, we could have Godzilla and Jet Jaguar versus Gigan and Megalon again. And that just would have been dope. The
1: dream. Yeah, the dream right there.
2: (laughs) Okay, uh, boy. Cast, cast, cast. There it is. All right.
0: <laughs> Hopefully I didn't say Miyumi too many times when it was supposed to be Miyuki, but
1: I think you
2: only said it like twice.
1: I like Miyumi better. I would prefer to <laughs> just do Miyumi.
2: We've decided her name is now canonically Miyumi. Yes.
1: Yeah. Kaiju design. Kaiju I don't know what I'm talk about. What was I going to say? See, this is why I don't go off on my own tangents outside my notes. Wiki Villa Kaiju Cast. You're being very vocal today. Ignore Kodiak; he's the brat.
2: It's okay about the dog because what would the show be without dogs coming in and talking over us? <laughs>
1: <laughs> True. Look at this; you're finally on a podcast. How do you feel? Okay, so now you're quiet. At some point, when we're about to start a discussion, we should edit in uh, Gordon saying, "Cut right into it."